podcast this week, we take a big old swig of a gunpowder milkshake. Oh, oh, needs more sugar. With the star of that movie, Karen Gillan. And we talk about looking with former movie drone maestro turned documentarian, Mark Cousins. All that and more on the movie podcast that has never been happier to be stuck in a dull, grey, depressing box. Because that means one thing, folks. We are back. We are back in studio. Yeah! 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 Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which for the first time in, what, 18 months? Like that, yeah. It was mid-March 2020, something like that. Many, many lifetimes ago. Many, many moons ago, when we decided that uh, we were going to start recording the podcast locally from our homes in our underpants, uh, we no. are now back, back, back in, in our the underpants. Studio, <laughs> in our underpants. I've really, I've asked them so often. Helen not did to. not get the memo. No, uh, no. such didn't a want the yeah. memo. Reported the memo to HR. I fact. handed you the memo. It was like a no, subpoena. No. No, that I, was I, I, subpoenas, Chris. Subpoenas. <laughs> oh, no. I handed it on to HR, and that was the end of it. Never hand HR Chris subpoenas. No, don't. I've tried. I have tried many, many times, oh, no. but I just end up uh, in HR meetings for some so reason. Weird. That's so, oh, so that's weird. So, so strange. Anyway, we've gone off the rails already. Hello, welcome back to the Empire Podcast. We're back in the studio, our grey, dull, depressing box here at Empire Towers. Uh, I am joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning this week, Geek Queen. Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. And I'm pointing at them and I want to touch their faces, Please but don't. they, don't they are strategically face. just a little bit out of my reach. And so I need bigger arms. Yeah. This yeah. is very, very strange. Very strange. Just like it shouldn't be strange. We've done live shows. It kind of, but I've seen you. Yeah, but there are other people there. It's not just the three of us in a room. And it just, yeah. it's just being back in the studio I am and clothed. For you know, it has to be said. Yeah, you're very <laughs> close. It's it's weird. I'm I'm not unsettlingly close, right? I'm not disconcertingly close. Mm. It's I a mean, bit like the poster for Demolition Man. It's not not dissimilar to that. I base much of my life and my approach to life <laughs> on John Spartan. You of are course, st- absolutely course. Simon Phoenix. I've, I've been meaning to talk to you about those shells in your bathroom. Like, you know. I'll just go where you want. <laughs> that's my uh, <laughs> that's, that's my toilet policy come on we need to wrap this up so we can all go to Taco Bell <laughs> don't you mean pizza Hut? yes I do <laughs> I've never been to Taco Bell you've never been to Taco I've Bell because they Taco have Bell. them over here and have done for some time yeah but I've never been yeah I've, I've thought about it but there's always been another option that sounded more interesting Pizza Hut Maybe. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You don't get them, they're not like common, are they? Maybe they are in parts of the country, but like I think I've seen two ever. One, yeah. one of them was yeah. yesterday, interestingly. Well, Is it I interesting? say interestingly, <laughs> but, but in actuality, perhaps. Where oh, Okay, where was this Pizza Hut? Uh, take Taco Bell. <laughs> where was this Pizza Hut? I mean, just to make this, uh, this anecdote even more interesting, I genuinely can't remember, but I did walk <laughs> past it at some point yesterday while marvelling at the glory that is actual London. Oh, I think it was in, it was in, I know where it was. It was in Angel. It was in Angel. Angel. Oh, I was walking through Angel and I saw a Taco Bell. Okay. That's my anecdote. <laughs> There must be an angel playing with my Taco Bell. Yeah. That sounds wrong. It does. Um, okay, yeah, it but um, yeah, because my wife, uh, Drinky Game, said the other day that, um, have you ever been to Taco Bell? 
I don't know why. Is that a euphemism or was think, he actually talking about food? No, I think it was an actual conversation. But I think after 10 years of marriage, we've exhausted all conversation. So she was just, <laughs> she was just like, the only thing left in her little quiver of conversation was, was it was an arrow that said, have you have ever, you ever been, been to Taco, Taco Bell? Bell? And I went, no. And now we have nothing to say to each other. I was about we just to say, sat in oh, silence. Where did the conversation go from there? Was well, that the end of it? Well, it got me thinking about, and I, I, I realized that we're doing that podcast thing where we, you know, Ramble about nothing. Yeah, prevaricate mm. and bang on. But I haven't seen you guys in ages and I just want to tell you about having not been to Taco Bell. Wow. If that's okay, just for a second. Because uh, I feel quite emotional uh, about having seen you guys and not been to Taco Bell. Uh, how many of the great big American fast food chains would you say you haven't been to? Oh, quite a few. I haven't been to Popeye's. No, I don't think no. I have either. I haven't no, been to Chuck E. Cheese. No. No, definitely not. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I there... eat loads of them. I haven't been to yeah. Panda Express. I have been to <gasps> In-N-Out and I have eaten off menu, which is what you're supposed to do. At what? Yeah, yeah, there's a whole secret menu for In-N-Out burgers and you have yeah. to like know like a animal se- style. Cr- in fairness, secret. you can Google this, yeah, this it's, menu. It's not. And, this like, is a burger shop, you, right? Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's still burgers. You can't go in and like ask for a, an iMac and they give yeah. you an iMac. It's not one of those things. But you, you go in and you go, you so see, you have the on the in and out uh, menu. Uh, and then you go, hey, can I get a three by three? Which isn't on the on the menu. And a three by three is three patties and three buns and all the uh, accoutrement. Uh, of yeah, a, I didn't have that. I just no, like you can get a four by four as well. Whoa, that sounds dangerous. Yeah, mm. that's probably beat you with a stick of wood. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so I've done like some of the biggies, and obviously we used to have a, a tradition when we went to Comic Con that we'd go to IHOP on the first morning. Yes. Um, which kind of died when they started putting their uh, calorie counts on the menus, and you realised that over your entire day's recommendation of calories was contained within a single dish. Basically, every dish on the menu was yeah. more calories than so one is supposed to eat in an entire day. So so good. Oh, so yeah. good there. Denny's, IHOP, yeah, been to Fat those. Burger. I love Panda Express. That's probably not um, a popular opinion, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can take multitudes. I can appreciate m- uh, Mission Star food and also the orange chicken from Panda Express. <laughs> Come at me, bros. Uh, it's uh, it's really good stuff. In fact, uh, my wife even went so far as one time to replicate the orange chicken recipe from Panda Express wow. and got it pretty much spot on. So, oh, oh, I see. So it's like chicken, like orange flavored chicken, not orange chicken. I mean, I think it's which both. is why I just assumed it would be. I don't understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> orange flavour or orange colour? I just colour? assumed it came oh, out orange coloured and you were yeah. like, I have no idea why this is orange, but yeah. sure, let's go with it. Anyway, aren't you glad that we went down this little detour? Yes. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's get into the show proper. Uh, because there's only three of us this week, whether by uh, a- accident or by design, there is no three-fact structure. Yes, my I've, new my I, new plan is just to kill yeah. the fourth contributor each week. That's what that's what exactly <laughs> yeah. what I was going to say. We're taking turns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I killed I killed him on this week, yeah. and uh, you know whoever's next, Helen's yeah. going to take him out. Sorry, uh, Katie or Beth, but yeah. you know yeah. you yeah. had a good run. Yeah, you're fucked. Oh, don't kill Ben though. Ben is very useful. Mm. Too late. Oh no. Preemptive, isn't it? Yeah. What did he taste like? <laughs> Orange chicken. <laughs> <laughs> You're a monster. Uh, I've never been to Benda Express before. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh no. A, a, a Bendo box. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, because there's only uh because the studio is not quite entirely 100% set up for us. So there isn't a fourth microphone available currently. So therefore, therefore ergo concordantly feasibly, <laughs> we can't have a fourth revolving chair. There there are no buttocks to be had. I don't understand what like why did they 
clear out a microphone in response to a pandemic. That's mysterious. I guess they're maybe doing the social distancing thing. I, it's, a, it's a foot now, isn't it? It's a meter? It's three feet? I don't know. Yeah. So I can't touch. I'm still trying, but I can't touch no, your faces. And that's deliberate. Yeah. I think I know what happened, actually. I think two mics fell <laughs> into a vat of cream. <laughs> that is what happened. And these Thanks are the only ones we have left. Mics. <laughs> two mics. Thank, thank you so much for clarifying. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, should we have a question? Sure. All right. So I wanted the question to mark our glorious return to the grey booth of depression. <laughs> and... I asked on Twitter today, I did a quick shout out before we, we got into the booth and got loads of really good questions. So we will be answering some of those over the next few weeks. But a number of people asked about the great movie reunions. Mm. So those moments in movies where characters haven't seen each other for more than a minute and there is much rejoicing. Okay, so three, two, one. Bam, we bam, should talk about bam, 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 bam. Bam 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 bam. Where's my kazoo? I need my oh, kazoo. It's a home. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. That's a pen. Oh, oh god. god, who touched that? <laughs> you shouldn't have put it in you your mouth. Know. That's not I pandemic etiquette. Simon Mayo's DNA might be in my mouth. Pandemic. Pandemic. Oh god. Oh no. <laughs> what is happening? Is Apologies, stuff. listeners. We have gone yes. slightly <laughs> delirious. So giddy are we to be in each other's company once again? And it's yet, a pandemic. Hey. And yet they won't let me touch their faces. Yep. Unbelievable. Uh, yes, portals. We should talk about portals. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, I was going through like all the um, options I could talk about for this, and I forgot about portals until right near the end. I was going, there must be something in the MCU. There must be a moment like this in the MCU where a character hasn't seen another character for ages. Like, what could it be? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, there's quite a lot of it just in Infinity War and Endgame. There's a lot of people coming in and meeting up with other people after being apart for a little bit. You know, there's Cap and Bucky meeting in Wakanda. Yeah. Um, there's just loads and loads of your favorite person turns up and says hello to your other favorite person kind of moments in those movies. Yeah. Yeah. There's Tony and Steve Tony and meeting Steve. for the first time oh. in five years. And yeah. And Hulk and Natasha. Oh, Hulk and Natasha. <laughs> I mean, well, Bruce, technically Bruce. Technically Bruce. Bruce and of Natasha. Course. That's Infinity War, of course. Of course. Infinity War. Uh, but we're talking specifically Endgame and Portals. And that is where everybody just Meet comes back. Yeah. yeah. And it's glorious. It is glorious. I mean, yes, absolutely. We should have had a few more moments. Stephen Bucky deserves a little moment there, 100%. I'm not sure we got quite enough kind of Ant-Man and Wasp meeting up again. I, th I think there's there, there were moments that you, they could have sharpened a little bit, but then it would have been even longer than it was. And I get it. So... Mm. But still, yeah, portals. They are good moments. I'm going to go out on a limb right here, right now, and say none of them are Cameron Poe returning with Bunny to be reunited <laughs> oh, with his family at the end of Con Air, which is obviously the greatest reunion scene yeah. in cinema history. See, that's interesting, because I thought you would have gone for, because some damn fool said you were the best. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan! <laughs> oh, we do it now. We can we do, do it! it. Oh. I mean, honestly, What's the matter, James? <laughs> Bauer Media got you pushing too many pencils? <laughs> if you could Take see it easy the... on yourself, Chris. <laughs> if you can oh, see God. the flexing biceps here, guys. I mean, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Yes. Predator. Yes. Predator. 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 That is a yeah. great moment. The greatest of moments, perhaps. I must admit, and I said this, I think, in the feature, like when I first interviewed Arnold, I was so <laughs> bitterly disappointed that wasn't how he greeted me. With I mean, a slightly sort of dismissive, no, that was it. That's all I got. I mean, but, but you're not like good friends who have fought together through, I don't know, wherever they fought together I mean, through. 
Sure, but I'm in many ways, you know, an officious pencil-pushing company man, so I thought maybe <laughs> that's, that's uh, true. <laughs> maybe that would resonate. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, that moment in Predator is so good. It's it's extraordinary. So <laughs> Dutch comes into the room and he goes, he says something to the general and then Dylan, who hasn't, who's off camera at that point, goes, because some, some damn fool said you accused you of being the best. It's accused, I think it said you were the best. I think it's accused you of being the I best. I think it said you were the best. I'm going to look it up and okay, make sure you're wrong. Up. Yeah, all right. We're having a Predator off. Uh, Helen, you love that movie as well. I who's do right? love that best. Who's right? I thought said, but I'm not sure either. I see. I think it's no. said. I think it's some damn fool said you were the best. I, you know, I can do it without making typing noises. <laughs> I have a phone. Because some damn fool accused, accused you of being the best. Oh, oh I win. No. I win. No. I'm the victor. I'm the victor. No. Yes. No. Yes. Never, never bring a knife to a plasma Predator caster fight. fight. Plasma caster. That's what the predator uses, Helen. No, I, I know, mm. but like, okay. Yeah. I, I just thought you'd go with. My hand. <laughs> we play, we could have watched the whole film. It's been a long time, General. What is that? His cabin administrator. It's on YouTube. Wait a second, we're close to it. Apparently they strayed off course. <laughs> we're fairly certain they're in gorilla hands. So why don't we use the regular army? What do you need us for? Because some damn fool accused you. Damn it! Yes! Damn it! I'm telling you. <laughs> I will Valverde the shit out of you. Oh, some damn fool accused you of being the best. See, said's a much better line. Yeah. Yeah, we need yeah. to go back. Well, it's quicker, but accused is, has a nice ring to it as well, yeah. in fairness. Yeah. And of course, he, uh, Dylan's talking about himself. He's the one who accused Dutch of being the best. Yeah. That's right. Making yeah. accusations. Yeah. But, spoiler, he's manipulating no. him. No. Yeah. But don't right. worry, spoiler, spoiler. He redeems himself ultimately for setting D Dutch and his team up. Also, like, you know, Dylan comes across as problematic, but he's ultimately armless. <laughs> <laughs> is it, so, so uh, okay. I realize we're getting into spoilers here for a movie that is Shudder, thirty-four <laughs> years old. Oh my god, that's a terrifying thought. But Dylan, in case you don't know, gets his arm blown off by the predator at the end. And in case you one don't of his know, arms, one of his one three of his arms. arms, one of his three arms, because in one of the greatest <laughs> flubs in movie history, uh, in the scene which I now think maybe has been excised, I'm not entirely sure, but it's certainly in early versions of Predator when it hit VHS. Uh, and the predator goes and grabs him and lifts him up. You can see Carl Weathers' arm strapped behind his back. <laughs> it's visible for like two seconds. Wait, is this a prequel to Happy Gilmore? <laughs> he does tend to lose his arms an awful lot. So what I'm asking you is, is the arm that he loses to the predator mm. the same arm that he wrestles Dutch with? No, it's his left arm that gets shot off and it's his right arm that he wrestles Dutch with. Oh, oh God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's reaching for the YouTube. Hey, no, no, I, I think I'm, gonna, uh, I'm going to bow to James's superior predator knowledge. Predator knowledge. Predator, that's a very <laughs> you can't difficult, even bring I yourself can, to say it. I can't man. even say it. I can't, yeah. <laughs> I was saying so, this in the predator. office yesterday. Like, I, I was playing Predator Hunting Grounds, which is one of the free PS, PS Plus games uh, this month. And uh, I was like, the guy on this does the most extraordinary Arnold impression because there's all these tapes you can get where Dutch is just telling you all this sort of backstory to what would have happened after Predator. I'm like, this guy, it's absolutely flawless. It's incredible. And then I found out it's actually Arnold doing it. And I got a bit sad. I was like, oh, Arnold, why are you doing this for this very mid-tier release, not at all no. successful game? <laughs> it seemed a bit... They must have paid him a fuck ton of money. Probably. Well, maybe mm. that's why they didn't have maybe. any more money for the game. Perhaps that's why. Mm. But yeah, it's great. Good stuff. Any more? Any more for any yes. more after this Predator um, loving? Yes. Um, the Princess Bride, when Wesley and Buttercup are reunited. Ooh,
Remind us of what happened. Okay, so she is unaware. She's thought he was the man in black, the Dread Pirate Robert, who killed Wesley. And then it turns out he actually is Wesley, which he reveals when she kicks him down a hill and he shouts, as you wish. <laughs> and then she throws herself down the hill after him and they get together at the bottom. And there's a lot of kissing. And have sex. But just a lot of kissing. It's a PG film. Can I say uh, something controversial? I kind of feel like The Princess Bride is just a bit fine. No. That is incorrect. <laughs> yeah. James, I've James, tried to love James it, James and I, I can't. No, I like, it's, James, it's fine. No, it's, fine. It's, fine. You're James, it's fine. You are incorrect. For your own good. <laughs> that is not right. Back off. Yeah. Okay. No, that is no, not. No. Look, I know, it, like I know it has a budget of about 50p. I know this. I know. Yeah. And, and they, they depended on having a lot of hillsides, because that's all the fucking, they yeah. fucking had. However... It's still one of the sharpest scripts. It's a great. Yes, it's funny. It's smart. It's and I'll tell you what, right? It's brilliantly calibrated because I I insisted on showing it to a boyfriend once who was all being all like a Princess Bride. Uh, This is not for me. This is a girly film. Ew, and his reactions exactly paralleled Fred Savage in the movie. So he literally got to the point where he was like, this is a girly film. The film cuts back to Fred Savage going, is this a kissing book? At exactly that moment, it is so well calibrated to break down your defences, to comment on itself. It's just brilliant. No, I've got no patience for sappy love films because clearly the best reunion is love actually at the airport oh, at the very oh, end when on. everyone comes together no. and it's uh, all heartwarming and no. delightful except yeah, no. for the Chris no. Marshall stuff which is awful. Oh yeah, it's the Chris Marshall stuff that's awful yeah, in that film. That's right. Uh-huh. The rest of it is the only awful strand in love actually. Yeah. yeah. No, so Andrew no. Lincoln is A-OK with you. Oh, that, well, I mean, <laughs> not sure I can defend that, but I do love the film unreservedly. I love the film reservedly. Quite, I don't quite love the film unreservedly. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, good. Um, Coco also. Oh, thanks, Helen. That's very nice. And, well, no, not right now, but like the film Coco by Pixar. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, there is, uh, I, I mean, it's a massive spoiler, but there is a family reunion in that, a particular family oh, reunion. Now I know there's a family in it. Remember me. <laughs> exactly. Um, which is uh, which is a real tearjerker. Because some damn fool remembered you were being the best. It's some damn fool accused you. Oh, of sorry. That. Accused you of remembering that you were right. being the best. Never miss quote, Coco. <laughs> um, what else we missed? At the end of the Shawshank Redemption. Oh. The Shawshank Redemption. the end of oh. Shawshank Redemption. I mean, we, um, we cuts off just before the reunion. So that reunion they really... they see only... each other. Their I eyes know. meet. Across a they crowded hug. beach. Empty beach. While he's doing boat yeah, yeah, that was added. That was very late in the day. The film ended with uh, Red on the bus, just going, hoping. yeah, just hoping. And I think it was Liz Glotzer who was a producer in the film said to Frank Darabont, "You need a you need, shot. You need them to meet up at the end." No, it's actually it's it's. I I remember. I think it's on the DVD. Actually, they go together. And there's a hug at the end, and then Nick Frost walks in and says, uh, "You've got Red on you." Oh no. Anyway, just to change the subject, um, <laughs> the end of Hunt for the Wilder People as well, actually, I really, really love. So it's um, Ricky when Baker. Ricky Baker goes to the halfway house to meet up with Heck again. Once rejected. Now, now accepted. <laughs> now accepted. <laughs> oh, I love that film. Frodo in bed. Frodo, Frodo in bed. Frodo in bed, but not the film version. I mean the YouTube version where it's very much slowed <laughs> down. <laughs> That one, yeah, yeah that's, that's a great so good. reunion. That's so good. Uh, is there anything in Star Wars like that? Basically, all of The Force Awakens is that. Really We're awesome. home. 
Yeah, it's all reunions. Oh yeah, do you remember that bit in The Force Awakens where where Han and Leia and Luke meet up and they have a moment <laughs> and you, uh, and and it's just so beautiful That's to great. see those three the three pillars of that story the three the three classic characters upon which the entire franchise was based mm. having that moment of oh no wait that didn't happen nonsense. Um, Chewie and Han in Return of the Jedi as well in Jabba's palace. That's a lovely mm, bit of reunion. Yes, oh, yes. And, and, oh. and when when Leia as Boosh unmasks having sort of taken him out well, of the carbonite. Yeah, someone who loves. You. The oh. Mighty Boosh, as she is known, her full title. Don't think mm-hmm. that's true. Uh, Last Crusade. Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. He hasn't seen his father in ages, and his father greets him by breaking a faz over his head. Ah, oh, it and breaks he goes, the heart. Junior. It is you, Junior. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it breaks the heart. And the head. <laughs> well, they don't come through the door, Dad. Well, good point. All that stuff. <laughs> well, I thought you were one of them. Uh, that's uh, that would be Sean Connery at the same age as Keanu Reeves. Yes, I'm sorry. What? Yep. Keanu, uh, Sean Connery in Last Crusade. Shut up. Same Shut age, your face. Apparently, is Keanu Reeves right now? Okay. This this is this ca- this cannot stand. Really? Apparently so. That's deranged. It's terrifying, isn't it? I feel like people are maybe aging differently now. Just generally. But specifically, also. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, okay. it's true. And uh, as I've said in the podcast many times, Sean Connery was 12 years older mm. than Harrison Ford true. when they made Last Crusade. Same age difference as between Papa Winchester and Dean Winchester. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about older films? There are some older films. Yes. Uh, Casablanca. Oh, my God. Now there's a reunion. When Cassie gets reunited with Blanca, there's mm. not a dry that's, eye in the that's house. That's not what yeah. they are called. Uh, yes. So when Rick sees Ilsa for the first time in ages. Ilsa Faust. <laughs> Ilsa Faust. Yes. It's the Mission Impossible prequel that we didn't know that we needed. Uh, and he's like, yeah, what are you doing playing that music bar? Yeah. Fucking dickhead. And that's uncanny. Yeah. <laughs> and upsetting. And she's like, oh, you played it for him, now play it for me. That's not, he oh, says, yeah. you played yeah. it for her, you can play it for me. Oh, that's so, later. Yeah. That's I watched it without scene. the sound off, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> but it's a good moment. It's a really good it moment. It is a very and good And he's moment. like, why are you playing that song? You're, you're fucking dickhead. <laughs> and Sam's like, oh. And, he, and, and then he sees Ilsa. And then he sees her and everything stops. Oh, yeah. my God, it's so good. Yeah, so good. And then Tom Cruise comes in and they do a fight. Again, that's Ilsa Faust. It's a oh, different yeah. Ilsa. Two Ilsas. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I feel like there's more, and people are going to be shouting at their podcast listening device right now, but I feel like there's many more kind of war films with this kind of thing. Yeah. You know, the one that's coming to mind, and it's not a good example, particularly of the form, is Mad Mardigan in the cage and his buddy with the brilliant beard rides by and he's all like, oh, let me out. I'll go help you fight. And ah, yes, like, in the you. wildly average Willow. In mm. Willow, of course. Yeah. I said Mad Mardigan. I just figured everybody knew I meant Willow. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There, are, I'm, I'm sure there are ones where someone is stopped dead by someone saying, hello, and then name of character. And they turn around. And it's like, oh, my <gasps> God, is that person I haven't seen in 10 years? But I can't think of any of them right now. But I can think of a couple of other ones. Okay. So there is the uh, reunion meeting between, um, and this is a very recent film, between uh, Rocky Balboa and uh, Ivan Drago in Creed 2. Mm-hmm. That's a really good scene. The Killing Fields. The Killing Fields? I don't even remember The Killing Fields. I mean, vaguely, but I yes, it's, you know, traumatic, so I try not to. It's a, Yeah, it's a very traumatic film. So at the end of The Killing Fields, uh, after being separated because of the Pol Pot's cleansing mm-hmm. in Cambodia. Uh, Dith Pran, who's played by Hang S. Ngor, who mm-hmm. was, of course, a real-life doctor who who turned actor for this movie and won, won an Oscar, an Oscar for it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, is reunited at the end with the journalist, Sidney Schamberg, played by Sam Waterston, to the strains of Imagine by John Lennon. And I always remember that scene because it's really heartfelt, it's really moving. But I also remember being scored by Imagine. And my mum hated John Lennon. Like, hated him. Don't know why. But she just could not stand John Lennon. But she loved that moment. And she loved that song being used in that moment. But anything else John Lennon did? No. No time for it. No time for the Beatles. Wow. I don't, I don't like Imagine at all. But it's a very good use of it in that, in that film. But did you not like that celebrity version of it last year? Oh, well, obviously that I loved. I mean, I went completely crazy for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why do you like Imagine? It's a lovely song. I just, uh, I just find it cloying and tedious. Um, I find you find it tedious. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what one I forgot from another animated film, but Rapunzel and her parents absolutely cracks me up every time. Because, you know, she's been lost her entire life and, but she's had this sense that there was somebody out there for her and, and they've been looking for her for years and sending up the balloons every year on her birthday. So not balloons, you know, the, the papery The lanterns, lantern the little lantern things, things yeah. yeah. Which, are frankly, a fire hazard, so that's just thoroughly irresponsible. Well, okay, but, yeah, but, you know, it's not like they have airplanes in that reality which are going to run into them and That's, cause that's how you start forest fires, Helen. It's not how I start forest fires. If <laughs> no. I'm going to start a forest fire, I just, you know, go mm. out and just, just go nuts with matches, to be honest. Seems fair. Wow. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Helen's arsonist past revealed. And I think that's a good note on which to end the listener question section. You know, as ever, this was a question that was thrown at us just before we started the podcast. So we're doing it largely instinctively. And um, the first thing that comes into our head, Helen's just got purple. one. The color purple. Oh my God, the there sisters. Yeah. Maybe that's a good way of doing it, actually. You think of a director and you think of great reunions then within that director's oeuvre. But uh, we're sure, as Helen said, that you're shouting at your podcast device going, you idiots, why didn't you name that one? Uh, So let us know. Let us know on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. And that's also how you can get a question read out on the Emperor podcast by replying to any of my tweets or waiting for a panicked shout out every now and again or sliding into my DMs at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. And if you have any more that we missed off, because I know we've missed off countless dozens, maybe even hundreds of examples of this very, very good genre, this tear-turking sub-genre of cinema, then please do let us know. Time now for this week's first guest. Who do you want? Karen Gillan or Mark Cousins? Karen Gillan. Karen Gillan? Karen Gillan. Karen Gillan is very Celtic. Very Celtic indeed. So you have Karen Gillan, who was born in Scotland but now lives in LA, and you have Mark Cousins, who was born in, well, actually born in England, I believe, (laughs) but grew up in Northern Ireland and is now uh, ensconced there firmly in Edinburgh. (laughs) Mm. Uh, So Karen Gillan, she was last on the podcast about four years ago when she was talking about Jumanji, the first Jumanji. Uh, She is, she was a delight then and she was a delight when I spoke to her about two weeks ago over Zoom, she was there to talk about, there on Zoom, she was in her front room, she was there to talk about her new movie, Gunpowder Milkshake, which is a an all-action extravaganza, which is available uh, this weekend on Sky Cinema. And of course, you know Karen Gillan, she's been in loads of stuff, Doctor Who, Nebula in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, Ruby Roundhouse in the Jumanji films, tons of fun. Uh, and I had tons of fun talking to her as well. I will explain in case the sound here is a little spotty. I haven't listened back to it yet. Uh, I was recording this from a hotel room in a panic because I had just interviewed Quentin Tarantino <gasps> in the flesh. And then I was 
not sure if I was going to be able to set up my, my microphone in time to talk to Karen Gillan. So hopefully I did. Hopefully it all sounds okay. Here you go. Me talking to Karen Gillan about gunpowder milkshake and a whole lot more. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Gunpowder Milkshake. What a title. Karen Gillan. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I just wooed myself. Woohoo, Karen Gillan. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's what I right. This studio audience here is terrible. Dead. <laughs> Absolutely dead. Uh, but yeah, so I was just saying, Karen and I were just speaking off mic because we could do that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That I am sitting in the, I'm not just in the hotel room, Karen, where I interviewed Quentin Tarantino. My first in-person podcast interview in 18 months. I forgot what to do. I was like, I was hugging him and and slobbering all you over. You were him. hugging Quentin I was, Tarantino. I was hugging Quentin Tarantino. I just I'd forgot what you meant to do in an interview situation. Way to play it cool. I just went straight to the hug. It was it was very 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 very. I'm just jealous that I haven't hugged Quentin Tarantino because. I'm such a big fan. <laughs> yes, because that's what we were saying. Because this is, I'm sitting in his chair. I'm sitting in the chair. Oh my god! I know. I can. I can feel. I can feel his energy still in the room. Uh, but you were saying that you've, you've that he's a he's a big fan as well, and that he's a big fan of Gunpowder Milkshake. I mean, I don't know if he's a big fan of me, but sure. Of course he is. Of course he is. <laughs> he's, seen, he's seen Gunpowder Milkshake, and he is a big fan of the film. And <laughs> so he decided to have a 35 millimeter print made of the film so he could play it in his cinema in Los Angeles, the New Beverly. Amazing. So Gunpowder had a run there, and then I went down one night because uh, I hang around theaters when my films are playing, and I saw him outside. <laughs> and met him and honestly i've never been more starstruck like that's the most starstruck i've ever been in my life that'll do it and you know what happened he quoted one of my lines back to me no from gunpowder milkshake which one? Oh my god what is it <laughs> oh, oh it was um something about like boneheads <laughs> oh for a second there i thought it was someone dangerous oh which yeah is a terrible rendition of my own line but he said that was his favorite line and then he quoted back to me and i was just i needed a moment where i was like Tarantino's just quoted one of my lines back to me. Oh that, my god, that is amazing! Because uh, the last time you were on the podcast, uh, you were you were it was for the first Jumanji, so it's been a while. It's been a while since you've been on the Empire podcast. It's okay; I won't hold it against you. It's, it's fine. Uh, and we talked then about how much you love Kubrick. Yeah. So, where does QT rank for you in your director's pantheon? Is he above Stanley, as he likes me to call him, or or beneath? Above or beneath? Above I mean, beneath. Kubrick, oh God, honestly, joint, joint first. Oh, that's a cop-out. No, I, I know it sounds like a cop-out, but like, I will say one thing that I do enjoy about Tarantino slightly more than Kubrick is that he just has the element of fun a bit more. Mm-hmm. He has the element of like pure entertainment as well as being like a brilliant masterpiece. Kubrick is like sort of pure masterpiece almost. Yes, so for that reason, he's he's up there joint first. Interesting. That's amazing that he loves Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, did you actually go to the, the New Beverly then and, and yeah, watch was with people? Yeah, hanging around down there. You were, uh, but you yeah. were hanging around. It makes you sound like you were hanging around outside, but did you actually go to the, yeah. the screening? <laughs> so I went one night and I went to the screening. So I watched it with a fun, expressive American audience, which was just always fun. <laughs> And then I went back down there, yep, and was hanging around in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> and then 
<laughs> and then saw him outside and, and, and went outside. And, and were you dressed as your character? <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. Okay. Because that's yeah. too far. <laughs> yeah. You don't make a habit of going to screenings of your movies dressed as your characters. No, I don't. I think that I'm losing enough cool points by just hanging around my own screenings. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, just going, oh, did you did you enjoy the film? Did you enjoy the film? Or you, even yeah. prior to the film, it's like, have fun in there. All right, enjoy. <laughs> yeah, here's your ticket. Your, your seat is uh, R17. <laughs> I'm in it. I'm in this. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, because can I can't really imagine how much time it would take to prepare for you to go to, say, a screening of Endgame. Uh, dressed as Nebula. I mean, that would be that's above and beyond, isn't it? That's too far because <laughs> I'm not sitting in the makeup chair for five hours <laughs> if I don't absolutely have to. Uh, but let's talk about gunpowder milkshake, Karen. So it looks absolutely, <laughs> and I mean this the best possible way. It looks absolutely exhausting to film. Oh, it was. It definitely was. So my first fight sequence in the film, the director was like, "We want." the first time we see you fight for it to obviously be really impressive and it needed to be because many characters are kind of sort of you know describing me as like or, or saying like remember who you're dealing with so it's mm-hmm. like the audience is geared up to think oh my god this girl is lethal so it's like I better bloody deliver on that by the time you actually do see me fight so a lot of practice went into that fight and then the director was like we want it to all be in one take so there's going to be no cut points it's going to be a wide shot so you're going to see every single movement. There's nowhere to hide. So which which, which fight is this? Which one was this? It's in the bowling alley. It's the first fight sequence. Okay. Um, and it's with three actors. So they weren't even stunt doubles. They were actors. And all three of us. And, and it's quite nerve wracking uh, uh, doing fights with other actors because when actors are doing fight sequences and they hear action, your adrenaline kicks in and you're giving it 110%. And we start to overshoot make mistakes because we're getting really carried away and usually the stunt people in the scene can kind of adjust and account for that but it was only actors in the scene so we're all like oh god speed <laughs> but nobody got hurt thankfully but it was just you know when there's nowhere to hide like no cut points and no handheld moving camera to kind of make it look more energetic you've really got to deliver so so that was quite hard going there's so much that you go through in this movie. There's so much that Sam, your character, goes through in this movie. There are action sequences, for example, where you have to fight whilst in a chair because your hands are paralyzed and you can't yeah. shoot people, which is, you know, the obviously the easy way out for action heroes. And uh, all that stuff seems so strenuous. And so in in must have been an amazing fun to do, though, at the same time. It was really fun. I, when I was first reading the script, the action sequence where they paralyze both of my arms and then make me fight three guys. I think that was the point where I put down the script and told my agents, I really have to do this film. I just never <laughs> seen anything like that. And it truly is the most bizarre, cartoonish, goofy action sequence I've ever seen in my life. Um, and by the way, that is where I thrive. <laughs> Who would have it? <laughs> you thrive in a chair with your arms paralyzed. Yeah, looking not cool at all, but just <laughs> flailing around. <laughs> <laughs> so you called your agents and said, I'm in. And then did yeah. you read the rest of the script after that? Or were you like, no, I'm good? Nah, just turned up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I did read the rest <laughs> No, I, I read the rest of it and was like, oh, just the imagery. And it, I just thought it would be really fun to lead an action film. I've been doing kind of action here and there. So I thought I'll graduate to a full-blown 
action mm-hmm. film. So your first conversations with Nafot, the director, uh, what were those conversations like? Um, so I was in London when I read the script and then they were like, okay, you should meet the director. And then he flew in from Israel. Mm-hmm. I think he was in Israel. And then we met in a restaurant in London and we started talking about the film. I started talking about my take on the character. And then we kind of just got into a lot of chat about films in general. Mm-hmm. So just talk, just generally talking about our favorite films and directors that we like. And and he has such an, a, a huge encyclopedic knowledge of film that I felt like I was going to be in safe hands just because he's got, you know, all of his influences sounded great. And, you know, there's a lot of like a Western, Westerns influence, the good, mm-hmm. the bad, the ugly, that sort of thing. And it just got me really excited about the film. Um, and I felt like, yeah, he and he also just has this um, really contagious enthusiasm. And I love to be around that. The tone and the palette is interesting because um, when you're having a, an action movie set in a very heightened world like this, a heightened society where you have... You know the the library, for example, with the librarians, it it feels very hyper real, like almost like there's a there's a sort of subsection of society underneath our real world, and that's the world in which Gunpowder Milkshake takes place, and that kind of calls to mind things like John Wick uh, mm-hmm. a little bit, but this is this is much more bubblegummy in a way than John yeah, Wick, yeah. and you know as well as Gunpowder Milkshake, the film could almost be called Bubblegum Popcorn because it feels really it just feels so bright and vibrant and yeah. in a way that john wick isn't for example so is that something again that that, that came up in 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 those discussions i guess we we didn't really touch on that so much actually in the meeting and it didn't read as bubblegum as it has turned out funnily mm-hmm. enough um i think a lot of that bubblegum comes from the choices that were made you know with um certain you know she carries around all of her weapons in a bag that says i love kittens um and there's a lot of like neon lighting and um and she eats cereal not real food and so i think that like <laughs> cereal's real food that- <laughs> sorry. i'm so sorry i've just offended everyone <laughs> it's not real food though <laughs> what nutrition is in there <laughs> there's wheat is that nutrition i don't know I feel like they're very, it's like a, they're just desserts that we put in milk. <laughs> yeah, start your day with a dessert. This is why I've always been uh, a, a, a cereal fan. Um, but yes, so, so sorry, I interrupted you. With that, <laughs> no, uh... you're fine. I was rambling and I completely don't know where I was going. <laughs> It's fine. That's pretty much my questioning style. Uh, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what's going to what's going to come out of my mouth uh, at all. But obviously now you know you're in LA. We're talking still in the middle of a pandemic despite the fact i've just done my first in-person podcast interview in 18 months and i'm hyped and super hyped i know i I honestly can't believe he may have been a mirage there's there's entirely that possibility um but you've had a very pissy lockdown you've been making films left right and center what's what's it been like for you um so i kind of experienced lockdown like everybody else at the beginning um so last year there was a few months of just kind of oh, I'm going to start cooking and that's gone. (laughs) (laughs) But then I was sort of um, thrown back into work probably last October. And I've been going ever since. Uh, I did a film in Finland called Jewel, which is so great. I watched it the other day. Loved it. Um, It's about a girl who has a clone made of herself and then she recovers from her terminal illness 
And so she has to fight the clone in a duel to the death to see which one gets to live as the person. Oh my God, it's so good. Um, That's with Aaron Paul. Um, And then... uh, and then I did Thor. Uh, mm-hmm. I was in Thor in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then I made a film called The Bubble in London, which is the new Jad Apatow film about a group of actors trying to make a big budget film during the pandemic. Wow. Okay. See, see that sounds really interesting and meta, very meta. It was meta as all hell because I just come off of Thor where I had that exact experience of like quarantining and then going to the cast dinner and everybody's socially awkward because we've forgotten how to interact. And then <laughs> we tried to make this big, huge film in a pandemic. <laughs> and then I go and make a film exactly about all of that. So I was like, what is going on? Was it a little bit more relaxed? I mean, you know, it's a you know, Thor's a Taika movie, so I'm sure that his sets are fairly relaxed, but you still have those protocols. And so uh, a Judd yeah. Apatow movie, a bit more, I don't know, a bit more low key, perhaps. I mean, they both actually felt fairly similar. Like, I think Taika has a very improvisational style when it comes to making even a big, huge blockbuster. He's taken his indie style in there. Um, And that's kind of nice. And so he's like shouting things out. He's like, do this, say this, walk over there. You're just going to go in with it. Um, And then Judd is very similar. You know, he's going to shout things out over the microphone. Say this, say this, say this. And you're just, you don't know like what you're going to be doing basically. Um, <laughs> although on the Judd film, like there was a full script. It wasn't like the whole film was improvised. Like we would get a version of the script, but then also he would be like, just go on a rant about this. And I'd never done that before and had the absolute time of my life. And I don't want to go back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I've got to ask in, in that film, in the bubble, yeah. where, where are we accent wise? American. American. So I'm improvising in American. So that was that was my biggest challenge so far, to be honest, because there's always that millisecond before I say something where I'm like, is that the right pronunciation? <laughs> 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 and did you did you uh, did you say, look, I can do it in my own accent, Judd. It's fine. No, I wanted to do it in American. But just for the challenge. I For the challenge. Definitely for the challenge. I wanted to see if I could improvise like that. And also, I just felt like it would be better in America than this particular character. She's kind of a uh, real Hollywood actress and, you know, a little bit of a nightmare. <laughs> Looking ahead to the future, I mean, you have directed and you directed a, a short recently. Was that entirely in lockdown or was that before the lockdown? That was actually made before the lockdown. Okay. And then I just, I made the short and then I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, I could submit it to film festivals or I could just show it to my own fans. And that got me way more excited. <laughs> so I was like, well, you're going to go on the festival circuit with something when I'd rather just show my own following. So I just put it on YouTube and I'm like, this is how I always want to work. Can I just keep making films and show it to my my own following? Uh, <laughs> so- you, you could. You absolutely could. You could put a, a Karen Gillan short film festival on and, you know. Yeah, where it's just my little tiny films I'll, I'll, I'll invite other people to take part in the festival too no screw those guys <laughs> absolutely you know it's the karen gillen short film festival showing only films made by karen gillen and is sponsored by kellogg's by kellogg's yeah <laughs> so everyone goes in they go to a they go to see a, a film you know maybe 10 films in a row because they're shorts uh, i thought you can throw in you, yeah. know, you can throw in feature length stuff as well if you want to and at uh, yeah. every screening they have a bowl of frosties 
And I could make a short film about how cereal is not real food and it will be like ironic. Well, that may be the most controversial thing we've ever had said on the Empire podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cereal is not real food. Karen Gillan is cancelled. <laughs> I'm so sorry, folks. I have to announce that Karen Gillan is cancelled. <laughs> That's it. You're done. Uh, but but just looking ahead very, very quickly to the future. I mean, in terms of directing, are you going to come back and direct another feature? Is that is that part of the plan? Oh, hell yes. That is the exact plan. In fact, when I hang up on this call, I am going to open my screenplay again. Um, so I finished it and then reread it and was like, this is not finished. <laughs> That's happened about five times. <laughs> um, but I think I'm finally almost there. I, the thing is, I'm not primarily a writer, but I'm surrounded by incredible writers as friends. And so I ask them for advice and then they steer me in the direction. And then I go in a different direction and... <laughs> I don't know. but So it's like, it takes a long time for me to write a screenplay because it's not my first thing. Like I'm a much better director than I am writer, mm-hmm. but I don't want to direct other people's stories because I have like lots of fun stories that I want to tell. And so this is the, the little dilemma that I'm in. So can, can you say anything about this, this the screenplay that you're, that you're working on at the moment? It's called Axe Wound. And if your mind is thinking, doesn't that mean... You're right. Yes, it does. <laughs> so it's an emotional axe and an emotional axe wound or a literal axe and a literal axe wound? Maybe we're going to be playing around with both. Oh, you don't know. I like it. I like it. I, I, yep, I'm there. Fully, fully on board. Sign me up for everything. <laughs> yes, got him. Hooked in. Yeah. Um, uh, it's based on a short film that I've already made called Conventional, which is on YouTube if you have any interest in watching that. And it's about an a actress who has starred in a really gratuitous horror film called Axe Wound 2. Um, and now she's on the horror convention circuit um, and things are going to start to get weird. Amazing. Cannot wait for, for Axe Wound. Yes, yes, please. Uh, so when you say you're not finished, how not finished are you? Are you on draft number 17? Or are you literally on page 70 and it finishes midway, midway through a sentence? <laughs> no, I actually, I've typed the words the end, but then I looked at how many pages it was and it was 85 pages. 85 And it kind of needs to be closer to 100. 85 is fine. No, that's that's not even 90 minutes. Under 90 minutes is great. Believe me, Karen. In the, a feature? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. My favorite film of all time is under 90 minutes long. So What's your favorite film of all time? Evil Dead 2, obviously. That's under 90 minutes? That makes me feel so much better because I actually haven't seen the second one, but the first one I loved. Well, in that case, your homework after this is not to go and uh, work on your screenplay. It's to watch Evil Dead 2. because that that's, inspire something. It may well do, because there's uh, actually, not to give too many spoilers away, there's a couple of axe wounds in that as well. <gasps> Isn't there like conjoined twins also in that? No, there's, uh, again, I don't want to spoil the film too much, but there is a possessed demon hand that then gets Uh-oh. cut off by a chainsaw and then chases the hero around for the, the entirety of the movie. And the hand makes noises, which oh. makes no sense because it's a hand and it has it's no vocal hand. cords. There's yeah. no vocal cords. But it, 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 yeah, it literally goes, <laughs> as it's attacking the hero. So Where's the logic? Who needs logic? Who needs logic in Evil Dead 2? There is no logic uh, required. Uh, well, on that note, I'm going to let you go. Karen Gillan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Dee, even though you don't like cereal. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. 
Okay, that was Karen Gillan. We will review Gunpowder Milkshake later on in the show. But now it is time to talk about movie news. Movie news, folks. Can I just say a little bit of movie news? One sure. little bit of movie news. Obviously, we did a live show last week. Did we? We did. We did. Yeah, I you think were there. We did. Yeah, you were was there. I? Well, yeah, you, you wanged on for ages about dragon scales from Sean Chi. <laughs> Uh, and bored to tits of Jason Isaacs to the point where he left. Uh, <laughs> he literally left the stage. <laughs> yeah, mid-anecdote. I mean. And we did a live show last week, and that is not going to be a podcast episode, but it is going to be available on the K Player, which is the King's Place in-house streaming service, for, if you listen to this, on Friday the 17th of September, one more day. If you listen to it on one day more. Saturday, the 18th of September, you have a few hours in which to buy your pass and watch it. And if you listen to this uh, on the 19th and beyond, then sorry, you missed your chance. But it was a fun, fun time. It was. Fun yeah, time was had by, by all, I think. Yeah, so, absolutely. Good stuff. All right. Time now for this week's movie reviews. Uh, or should we actually talk about movie news? News, probably. Okay. Yeah, what's, what's been happening? Christopher Nolan has a planned movie about development of the atom bomb under Robert Oppenheimer. Um, He was shopping it around studios last week. It has now settled at Universal. This is, of course, a shift from him where he's been working at Warner Brothers for over a decade. Um, He is now going to be making this one at Universal. So there we go. It was a, the subject of a bidding war. Apparently MGM and Sony were also in the mix. Warner Brothers were not one of the top contenders and it will be his third historical project following The Prestige and Dunkirk. Obviously a little bit closer in terms of timeline to Dunkirk. Yes. So tell us more about it. Who is Robert Oppenheimer? Um, he's the He's one of the key figures in the Manhattan Project to develop the nuclear bomb, basically. Um, And he very famously repented of his actions afterwards and thought that maybe it had not been a super great idea after all. You think? mm, I would tend to agree, personally, but hey, there there you go. As I was saying at the live show, there was a theory apparently among some of the scientists at the time that they might accidentally ionize the entire upper atmosphere and end all life on Earth. And they still went ahead with the test. (laughs) They were like, fuck it. Super good work, guys. Well done. But yeah, so uh, Nolan no longer at Warner Brothers. I guess that whole HBO Max kerfuffle did not quite blow over. Did not sit well with him, did it? Yeah, this is all very interesting because, you know, there's been lots of uh, details emerging from this courtship of the studios or rather the studios trying to court him and the alleged demands that he has placed upon any studio that wanted to go into business with him for this movie where he apparently wanted, and this is all scuttlebutt, but this was, I think, a Hollywood reporter reported this in Hollywood and they said something like he wanted the guaranteed $100 million budget for a movie mm-hmm. about a bloke doing science, and but it's going to it's going to have that typical Nolanian Nolanian sweep, sure. obviously, uh, that he wanted a guarantee that the studio wouldn't release another movie three weeks before his or three weeks after his. He wanted only red M and M's, all the usual <laughs> stuff. But that's it's it's interesting that he has moved on from from Warner Brothers. That he's shopping this thing around town, and that clearly, you know, despite tenets middling reception both at the box office but I think we can absolutely attribute that to the pandemic you know mm-hmm. I think it would have made a lot oh, more yeah, money sure. without the pandemic uh, and in, in many ways was a sacrificial lamb um, when it came out last year but it, critically it got a, a bit of a mixed reaction uh, as well I'm still trying to get my head around that film this one I hopefully should be able to understand but it shows that people are still desperate to be in the Chris Nolan business there's also yeah. rumours that Apple wanted to to talk to him and given that that would have meant his movie living on a little 
box. Yeah, that was never going to happen. He told him to piss off and get mm-hmm. out of my house, and you know, yeah, no, you can't, you can't put your shoes back on. You got it. No, sorry. Wow, they're my shoes now. <laughs> wow, that's. I mean, that doesn't seem like him at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this. I think Dunkirk's fantastic, and uh, you know, this was going to be obviously less of a thriller, I would say, than any of his previous movies. I mean, maybe not. There might be quite a bit of shenanigans to go into here. I, I wonder if you can, you know, if you emphasize the because we all knew that they were getting rescued in Dunkirk, right? But there might be ways to make something we all know mm-hmm. about this, uh, you know, as as compelling and as thrilling. Yeah, but True. without like playing the whole thing backwards and starting with the explosion and then moving all the way back through time. I mean, yeah. it's it's possible, it's possible. to be honest, it's possible. <laughs> given and the man involved. And as I said in last week's uh, live show, I, I made a boo-boo. I made a boo-boo because I was rem- remembering live. Do you remember last segment, Remembering Live with Chris Hewitt? And I was trying to remember who had directed because there has been a version of this movie made before uh, in 1989 by uh, Roland Joffe. I thought it was Dwight H. Little uh, starring Paul Newman and Dwight Schultz called Fat Man and Little Boy, also known as Shadowmakers. Mm-hmm. So I got the director wrong. The director is Roland Joffe, uh-huh. who co-wrote it with Bruce Robinson, who mm-hmm. obviously directed it with Nell and I. Uh, where I got Dwight H. Little from, I have <laughs> absolutely no idea. I think it's maybe just the title confused me. I just assumed it was nominative determinism, so therefore a someone Dwight called Little had, yeah, yeah, yeah. had to be involved. The director was either Little Man or a Fat Boy, or wow. or Fat Man or a Little Boy. One of the two. <laughs> like, okay. you know, this, 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 movie, this movie's terrible. Well, it was directed by a little boy, <laughs> in fairness, so... What can you do? Uh, Dwight H. Little did direct Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, as I so correctly stated. He also directed Steven Seagal's Marked for Death in 1990. (gasps) He directed Brandon Lee in Rapid Fire in 1992. He directed Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home. I wonder if we care. Dwight H. Little cares. <laughs> okay. Sure. I was just wondering and if this comes under the, the heading of news. Dwight millions, H. Cares little. Millions of Dwight H. Little stands around the world. Uh, he directed Murder at 1600. Do continue. Oh, oh, like okay. Or don't. Yeah. Or with, don't. With Wesley Snipes. Mm. He directed an episode of The X Files, James. Did he? Which one? Uh, he directed Scary Monsters in uh, season nine. Oh, I don't remember much about season nine no, for good reasons. I've, I've wiped out season nine. Uh, he directed Anacondas, The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Um, uh, he directed a couple of episodes of 24. I'm very much enjoying this tour through his IMDb page. This is great. This is fantastic. Uh, he directed, uh, what else he directed? He's directed loads of stuff. Hey, about movie news. Though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So uh, there were some other stories. Uh, keeping on the Warner Brothers beat, um, they're planning a Penguin TV spinoff from The Batman. Amazing. I'm not quite sure why. That that's the Penguin in the Batman, of course, is the um, unrecognizable uh, Colin Farrell performance. This would apparently be a rise to power story about the Penguin. Oh, uh, so it's not entirely clear if Colin Farrell would be involved at all. No, apparently he is. Apparently they have reached are, are out they, to Colin Farrell have, to see whether, they? and obviously he is. Uh, he's open to doing TV, as he has proved mm, very, very recently right. with the North Woods, Water, the North Water, yeah. and True Detective. Laugh right at those. Well, yeah. both of them, in fact. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's and not. He's not super into laugh riots these days, is he? No. Which is a shame because he's a very funny man. But like very after Yang, man. I saw it can is also not a laugh riot. No, mm. no, he doesn't. He doesn't do much of the laugh riots. Dumbo, Dumbo, Dumbo was sweet. That was a nice, sweet. nice, sweet mm-hmm. film. Thank you. Yeah. So this is about the penguins' rise to power. I, I was thought for a second it might be about the penguin uh, accidentally releasing a sex tape. <laughs> Ah, you fucking gorgeous. Ah, you fucking gorgeous. As long as a cat ah, wanders ah, through the frame ah. at one point, uh, I'll be happy. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yes. 
Oh, no, no, that's staying in. Oh, okay. Uh, no. Which is actually a line from the Colin Farrell sketch book. Oh God, God! See, it's funny because uh, it, like he'll never, he'll never get another day after having done this TV series because because no one p- picks up a penguin. You know, so you think they'll make the pilot and then drop it, won't get yeah, picked up it, and taken to yeah. series? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is a second planned spinoff from the Batman um, because they're planning that corrupt Gotham PD f- series as well. I hope the sequel to this film is a Batman. <laughs> some and Batman. then some Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I. I'm, I'm sure, look. I'm really excited about the film. I'm I'm not super excited about the spin-offs, but maybe they'll all earn their keep. Well, hey, look, it'll give us something to talk about on the Pilot TV podcast. So that will oh, be uh, oh, that'll be a lot of fun. Speaking of which, I do have a bit of news that crosses oh, over the two worlds: the right. convergence. All right, and bring it on. Cynthia Erivo is going to be in the Lufa movie. Yeah, with Andy uh, Serkis. Yeah, which is a movie. So you'd think we wouldn't be covering it on Pilot, but then of course it's Luther. So you know, it's what? Where do we? Where, where do we? Where does one end and the you other? You wouldn't begin? understand what's happening. I know. Wh- what why, is this? Why is there no advert break? This what, strange short TV show. I don't know how to deal with it. Um, but yeah, that's cool because she's awesome. He's awesome, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, a lot of awesome there. Good yeah. people. Uh, Idris Elba, Andy Serkis, Neil Cross is writing it. He's mm. the creator of Lufa. 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 So yeah, I'm excited, yeah. and and they'll save a lot of money in the wardrobe because he just wears a coat. <laughs> Basically, it's what I'm saying. I'm so sure. they don't have to. I feel like that coat costs more than we have all of us together spent on all our clothes in the entirety of our lives. I don't think I know. I think they got it from an Oxfam. Do you? Yeah. Mm. Okay. He's he's not meant to have loads of money, Lufa. No, no, no the code itself shouldn't. Especially cost a lot now, of money. if anyone remembers how the final season ended, which was not, shall we say, in an upbeat fashion. All right, well, there's no spoilers. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of stuff has wrapped filming. Yes, yeah. including skulls. Yes, what skulls? Skulls, the new, uh, the Dan Trachtenberg predators. Predator, predator, predators, those predators, some predators, a predators, the predator, some kind some of predator. Some damn fool accused him of being the best person <laughs> yes. to make a new to film make a new skulls predator mm. film predators. called Skulls. So is it like predator colon skulls or is it just called skulls? And we have to figure out the rest. You ask an excellent question. I don't I, know. I mean, wasn't aren't people going to confuse it with the was it Joshua Jackson's? Yeah, the skulls with the secret society. The secret society yes, at oh, Yale? Classic. classic. I mean, I wouldn't want that to happen <laughs> to a predator film. Perhaps it's a secret secret society of predators. Now there is an mm-hmm. interesting spin. Mm-hmm. Ivy League University secret society of predators go. Yeah. Here for it. <laughs> uh, also wrapping this week, uh, Mission Impossible 7, mm. at ah, long last. That's been 16 years, I think, they've been shooting yes, that one. Yes, yes. Right, uh, started, started filming in 1993. Uh, <laughs> no, very excited about that, obviously. Yeah. And Knives Out 2, also <gasps> wrapped over oh, there man. in Greece. Wow. Yeah, very good. Very good. So looking forward to those movies when they come out. Uh, but we should talk about a couple of trailers. So there was a trailer this week for the new a new trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Yeah. And seems to be getting people pretty excited. Yeah, I I like this. It's very, very kind of classic, but just like some of the shots are beautiful. It looks like it's really well done. Obviously, it's Steven Spielberg. And it looks like he's, you know, doing a pretty faithful version of the musical, but I don't know, with a little bit of a spin on it. It's a very good time for musicals. Obviously, we've already had In the Heights. We've got Tick, Tick, Boom coming. Um, Everybody's talking about Jamie. Nobody's talking about Dear Evan Hansen. Except, <laughs> People are talking about it. To, yeah, yeah, to, mock, to it. mock it and raise her eyebrow in I, this general direction. I don't direction. think he looks that old. He's 77 years old. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but he could pass for He 56. is the same age now as Sean Connery was when he made Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And that is He's fact. 12 years older than himself. 
That's impressive. Yeah. Wow. Ben Platt in Dear Evan Hansen is 12 years older than Ben Platt in real life. Who Should we explain what we're talking about? We should. So yes. Dear Evan Hansen, Ben Platt played the lead role, Evan Hansen, mm-hmm. on stage and was then re- recruited by Stephen Tobosky for the film version. Is that how you pronounce his name? I'm not sure. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> he was uh, he was recruited for the film version because he did a fantastic job on stage. He he won all the Tonys and all, all everything. Even though Groundhog Day was up the same year, and I know which I would have voted well, for. I'm just yeah. saying. Groundhog Day sadly died a death. And, I know, but people should still so, understand that it's better. I, it is. It is. Well, you know, I have. In fairness, I haven't seen. I've Dear seen both. Hansen, but I know you have, mm-hmm. and you've you know, and your word is good for me. And you know, but Groundhog Day. What the fuck, guys? It's amazing musical and you just kind of poo-pooed it you just missed it let it it die anyway Andy Carl all the way but Ben Platt did however win the awards it is a very tricky bit of singing Andy Carl should have won that Andy Carl should have won it is a very tricky bit of singing he has a lot of kind of emotion to get into certain songs there's a lot of kind of tricky shifts uh, within the songs so fair play I can understand where they went from I didn't think he looks that old he's 27 the character's 17 I think the problem is, and, and some people have pointed this out, the character in Dear Evan Hansen does awful things mm-hmm. and it's a bit more forgivable if he's younger because then you're like, he just doesn't know any better. Whereas Ben Platten looks like someone who should know better. Mm. And so I think that's been people's sticking point with it. But, um, you know, I'm not going to get into spoilers. I, mean, I don't think he's bad. It's it? not Stockard Channing It's Greece. not Stockard Channing <laughs> He genuinely doesn't look that old, I don't think. Yeah. But it, yes, it has been the subject of discussion. Anyway, yes. West Side Story has yes. cast younger, I think, it in has. general. And, so, and you know. mostly, you know, Rachel Segler, who plays Maria, is, I think she was 17 when she was cast yeah. until Elgort's mid-20s. Yes. Yeah. It's Maybe. not it's not crazy out of whack at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and they've got Ariana DeBose in there who's also young but already has an incredible musical background. Mm-hmm. Um Rita Moreno's in there. It's gonna be fun, I think. Yeah. And uh and speaking of musicals as well, Keegan Michael Key has joined the Willy Wonka prequel that Paul King is currently filming. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by this because so they haven't figured out who he's playing and they're like, he might be a rival, he might be a mentor, you know. Um When you say they, you mean the people who've written the story about the the movie, not yeah. the people who've cast him in the movie, because I no, hope I'm sure, to God I'm, they figure yeah, out who he's I'm, playing. I'm assuming they have an idea. Right. But what's interesting to me is that all of it sounds like the role he played last year in Jingle Jangle, where he was a friend turned business rival. And <laughs> I'm just really intrigued. Is that what got him the job? Because he did some singing and dancing there and did it very well. He was also, of course, in Schmigadoon. Yeah. yeah, he's very talented. He, he doesn't sing enough, I think, in Schmigadoon, but he's good. Mm-hmm. Um, There's more than enough singing in Schmigadoon. No, but he doesn't do that mm. much. I mean, isn't that the point of Schmigadoon that they're singing in a jimbo? That I mean, is. It's a bit like you the point of it, yes. dissing what, what if for being animated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, that's you a fair refusing, point. And I have, in fact, dissed what if for being animated. Are you refusing to watch Lower Decks because it's animated, even though oh, it has some of the best Star Trek no, jokes I've ever heard no, in my life? Helen, it hurts my soul when you say things like it's that. It's really no, funny. hard pass, no. Star Trek, as I've said many times on the Pilot TV podcast, is no laughing matter. I mean, but sometimes it is. No. And it's no. really funny. No, no, I'm just saying. Anywho, Keegan-Michael Key, more of him and everything. I'm here for it. Okay. 
Just to very quickly say as well, Travis Knight is back working <gasps> at Leica on stop motion. These are I all like good things. I like a lot. Yes. Uh, he's going to be making Wildwood, which is a, uh, based on a novel. It's about a girl who, along with her hapless classmate apparently, goes into a mysterious secret wood to rescue her baby brother from a murder of crows. So I f- kind of feel like it's labyrinth, but more arboreal. Arboreal labyrinth. Mm. That's a good pitch. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, yeah, apparently strange talking animals, roguish bandits, and powerful figures with dark intentions. Mm-hmm. Here for mm. it, basically. Okay. Mm. And there was one last trailer as well, which came out this week, which I think surprised us all. And it was a trailer for Hawkeye. Wasn't it, Josh? Yeah. Marvel Studios' Hawkeye, which will be out on Disney Plus on 24th of October, mm. I think. And the reason I think it surprised us all is because it looks huge fun. It does. And I'm not quite sure what I was expecting from this show. I think the answer is definitely not much. I don't know why, but I think it's because I find Hawkeye kind of an uninspiring character in the MCU. But something about this, like, I thought... I, I thought it was great. Like mm. I, I really thought it was great. Like, I had a real, I mean, it's very obvious to say because it was screaming out the trailer, but it f- had that real Shane Black vibe, not just because it was Christmas, because it was very sort of buddy-centric, there was a lot of banter in it. And I thought Hayley Steinfeld, who is very funny in Dickinson, I mean, you've seen it on Apple TV+, mm-hmm. Plus. Uh, she's properly funny in this. She's, she's um, great. I yeah, mean, she's look, so much fun. Look, she has a pass for life just for true grit, never mind anything else, but uh, also yeah. like Edge of Seventeen and the Pitch mm-hmm. Perfect sequels. See, I didn't love Edge she's of Seventeen. Oh, you were wrong. Me, that. maybe, mm. but still but no she's she's just fantastic and uh, yeah they look like they have fun chemistry and also this is like Marvel plus Christmas plus Rogers the Musical yes. equals Helen's yes. there with Rogers bells the on musical. Rogers the Musical um, that was a moment yeah I've oh. had I've had friends writing lyrics to that all week not at my request just because that's what they do for fun can they do this all day they can't. That is yeah. one of the songs. Um, I'm, I pitched uh, personally a, a big ballad number called Newspapers in His Shoes. Obviously, Bucky <laughs> singing about Steve. I just think it's going to be great. Yeah. I, I, it feels to me like this, there might have been something we, we threw away on the Empire podcast. Like just we threw it out there as an idea, Rogers mm-hmm. Musical, all those years ago. So uh, our lawyers will be in touch. Of course. Uh, but that that was the big takeaway from it. And people were trying to also zoom in on the actor playing Thor in the one glimpse we get of Rogers Musical, which looks so cheesy and so <laughs> much fun. And I hope we actually get to see a, a song from that. That would be great. And some people were saying, is that Chris Evans as Thor? And I was like, no. Clearly, it's not Chris Evans' store. Um, although we'd be quite perverse. It would be quite perverse <laughs> if the one thing he did post leaving Steve Rogers was to come back and don a blonde wig and pirouette for a bit. He in can dance. He studied, he studied ballet as a child, apparently. I'm sure there's nothing he cannot do. Mm. I believe you. So, yeah, Rogers the Musical looks like tons of fun. Uh, loads of people respect it on song titles and, and what that could be. And, you know, I think someone wrote into us saying, do we think this is almost like a backdoor pilot? Is this Disney testing the waters <laughs> to see whether there is appetite for a musical, an MCU musical, Rogers the Musical, maybe on Broadway rather than a, than a film? Mm. Uh, and I would say that I would imagine Marvel have learned a lesson from Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark has scared a lot yeah. of people and scarred a lot of people for life. Yes. Someone pointed out actually that if Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark had won some Tonys, Marvel collectively would have an EGOT. <laughs> All right, we need a revival. <laughs> Maybe Rogers the Musical will will tick that box. Oh wow, that's cool. I hadn't really Wait, thought of that. Wait, did they win a Grammy? When did they Marvel must have won a Grammy. Grammy. I'm sure one of the soundtracks has won a Grammy at some point. For something, there's so many Grammys. That's true. There are. It's almost the point where if you haven't won a Grammy, something's gone wrong. That's true. I think the Grammy may be the easiest of those ones to win. Yeah, because there are quite a lot of categories, aren't there? 
Yeah, so many categories. Uh, what are they? So the um, the Emmys, the Grammys, the Oscars, and the Tonys. The mm. Emmys, the Grammys, the Oscars, and the Tonys. Yeah, they have one best rap performance <laughs> for okay. Black Panther. A oh, good, 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 good. And best score soundtrack for visual media, also for Black Panther. Okay. Black, Black Panther obviously also won them their Oscars, mm-hmm. and then the Emmys went to One Division. Uh, yes, just recently. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, and the, and may win some more uh, this weekend when the Emmys actually take place. It is this weekend. It is it? indeed yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, our good wishes go with everybody that we like, who has been, including Brett Goldstein, who is actually nominated Sorry. for a proper Emmy. So, so fingers crossed that Roy Kent could bring that bad boy home. Uh, He's as here. Well. He's there. He's every fucking where. <laughs> Boy, can't. Uh, but yes, the, the Hawkeye trailer looks like loads of fun. So in case you don't know what it is, um, <laughs> five minutes into the discussion of it, <laughs> it is strangely one of the MCU properties that is most faithfully adapted from something. So there is a cracking uh, Hawkeye comic uh, by Matt Fraction, written by Matt Fraction, uh, in which Hawkeye, in which Clint Barton uh, becomes the owner slash landlord of a tenement building in New York and basically becomes protector of the people in that building as they are targeted by a group of thugs and it all goes wildly out of control mm. it's very inventive it's very very funny great character work great action beats and this is partially that but also partially its own thing so Haley Seinfeld plays Kate Bishop who is a a, a young archer who idolizes Hawkeye. Uh, she is a Hawkeye stan and uh, they end up teaming up and uh, and there's lots of shenanigans going on there as well. No mention of Florence Pugh anywhere in the no, press release or the trailer. You wouldn't expect it. I mean, this is probably scenes from the first two episodes based mm-hmm. on their previous trailers for their previous mm-hmm. TV shows. Um, also worthy of note in this trailer is the fact that Hawkeye is wearing hearing aids for the first time in the MCU that I'm aware of. And this is something that's been part of his character in the comics for years and years and years. And it's the kind of thing that the the MCU could have done from day one super easily, not a problem. But he is visibly wearing hearing aids in mm-hmm. a couple of scenes here. And I think that's a big step forward, actually, for the character and for representation, because, you know, literally, why didn't they do this from the start? It makes no sense. How are they going to explain it? I mean, presumably, well, either there's something that happened during Endgame that we're just, we haven't noticed or, mm-hmm. or that they haven't filled in yet, or... Um, you know, mm-hmm. something happens early on in this one, for mm-hmm. all we know. That's very good. And obviously, you know, Jeremy Renner in the role, it looks like he's having a blast in yeah. this one. Uh, it looks like he's, he's being very, very quippy and very, very funny. In the same way that he was in Age of Ultron. He gets mm-hmm. a lot of very, very funny moments in Age of Ultron. Uh, and it's 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 the it's the kind of done thing. It's the easy way out, isn't it, to, to take a dump on Hawkeye. And God knows we've we've gone for the easy gag about him enough on the podcast over the years. Us, but fingers the easy crossed. Gag. I know, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, but fingers crossed that this is going to shine the spotlight on him and uh, and and you know and make people realize that it's it's good to be a massive Clint. Time now then for our second guest this week, Mark Cousins. Mark Cousins is a very interesting chap. Uh, he first came to prominence as a TV presenter of the seminal TV show Movie Drome uh, on BBC Two back in the late 90s, replacing Alex Cox, of course, as a presenter. Uh, and then did a, a series that, frankly, I've been ripping off for a long, long time since called Scene by Scene, where he sat down with famous people and showed them scenes from their their movies. So if he sat down with Carl Weathers, for example, he'd show him that scene from Predator. Because mm-hmm. some damn fool accused him of being the best. He has uh, segued 
into becoming a filmmaker over the last 15, 20 years or so. Some incredible documentaries, things like the story of film, his exhaustive 15 hour journey through literally the story of film. And he's back this week with another story, the story of looking, which is a loose adaptation of this 2017 book, The Story of Looking, which is about the story of how we look at things and how we we process visual information, how we enter the visual world. And it was inspired by something that happened to him in real life where he, as he entered his mid-50s, discovered that he had a cataract on his eye. And this guy who's, you know, lived his entire life, devoted himself to cinema, devoted himself to to seeing and looking at, at visual art, uh, suddenly was presented with the very real possibility he might not be able to see at all. So the bulk of the documentary is dictated to the camera by Mark Cousins as he's lying in his bed the day before he goes for the operation. Uh, and uh, it is a fascinating documentary. It, uh, it is one in which he exposes himself emotionally and physically. If you've ever wanted to see Mark Cousins' penis, this is the movie for you. Um, it wasn't on display when I spoke to him on Zoom earlier on this week. I didn't recognise him with his clothes on, if I'm honest. Oh my God. Um, but I had a good old natter, good old Northern Irish natter with Mark Cousins about the story of looking, movie drum and other things besides. Here you go. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the director of The Story of Looking, Mr. Mark Cousins. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm great, Chris. Thank I'm very happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. Um, I think uh, our accents might become stronger as this podcast goes on. <laughs> I suspect we're from a similar part of the world. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. But whereabouts are you at the moment, Mark? Because, um, you know, obviously in the story of looking, a lot of it, you spend a lot of it in bed um, and... Uh, this is this is your this is your office. This is your your chamber, is it? Yes, it is. This is my uh, the edit suite uh, where I just we make all our films here, and uh, there's a table to my left where my editor usually is, and he's not here at the moment. But this is you know, it's just, I'm lucky enough to have a really good working room, and where the books are around me and the films are around me, and I love that. I love that having a kind of quiet place in which to work. Absolutely. And uh, what are you working on at the moment? Because uh, you, you've been a busy man this year with three films alone in 2021. So Yeah. And yeah, I've got, I, I love making films, Chris. You know, I just, it's like, it just keeps me alive. It's like cooking pasta, <laughs> pasta sauce or something like that. So at the moment, I've got five new films on the go, like five new ones in addition to the three that you just referred to. So that's slightly you know, it's exciting. It's scary also to have to deliver so much. Uh, but I say I have a tendency to say yes to things. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, but I haven't I haven't quite landed myself in a position where I'm working on five films at the same time. Uh, are you good at compartmentalizing? Are you good at keeping everything separate? Uh, yes, I think and I, I would say I'm not good at it and my brain is good at it. I feel that it's this separate thing within me, like some horror movie, which I've been in, where <laughs> I've been invaded by this brain that has, does its own thing. So it is good at compartmentalizing it. It's good at remembering, right, you're talking about this film now or you're planning visuals for that film now. Okay. And, and I think, I think that's, I think that's, Lots of us feel that, you know, the the, the the excitement of making, of of feeling alive by doing things, by spinning lots of plates. Mm. And so where does the story of, of looking fall into that for you? Was it was this something that, you know, because obviously the book came out 
roughly about four years ago now, I guess. So yes. were you always planning to adapt it into documentary or was it something that, because in the documentary itself, it seems that it's relatively spur of the moment that you were spurred into action by the, the health scare you had with your eye. Yeah, it is that, you know, I know there wasn't a plan to make a film particularly, but, you know, your, your, your brain, your, your mind just starts to think, oh, what next, what next? And so one of my producers came and said, why don't you make a film of that? I read it. It's, and I thought, okay, that's good. And the initial plan was to make something a bit more conventional, like three long documentaries about the history of looking how we looked in conquest and how we look at in the history. But but nobody would fund that, to be honest. So, <laughs> okay. so we decided to I decided to rethink of it as, as a single event, uh, maybe uh, one day in my life, uh, coming up to an eye operation and thinking, what is my visual? What is my inner visual world? And that the excitement of that. So, so how much of it was then constructed on the fly? Because we see you spending that day in bed just before you go off and have your operation for the for the, the cataract and you know it's it feel like i say it feels off the cuff it feels unplanned yeah. uh, so in terms of all the footage that you incorporate from you know the, the many movies you reference and the many films the many things that you've shot over the years was that a case of after the fact we've got to go back and assemble <laughs> this we've got to get this into some sort of form no, the footage all came first, to be honest, Chris. You know, I think I, I just had all this stuff, all this footage on my computer. But everything you see in the film where I'm just lying in my bed talking to camera, that is, it, it is on the fly. It is unscripted. It was just me thinking, what do I say now? How do I create a certain aliveness in front of the camera? So I was looking for a combination of uh, improvised talking about looking, but also to try to use lots of the images that I had over the years. And I've traveled around the world and I've been filming every day for decades now. So that combination of just see what comes out of my mouth and something much more structured and considered, hopefully that was a plan that uh, that would work. So and uh, that fascinates me. So you, you've been filming you, you every day, no matter what happens, you shoot yes. something. Yes, for decades. Okay. It's like people, you know, people who run yeah. or people, you know, whatever the, their addiction is, you yeah. know, shoot, shooting is my addiction. And how long has this been? <laughs> it feels like a therapy session now, Mark, but yeah. how, how long has this been going on? Yeah, well, since the cameras got small, you know, I yeah. started I started directing way back in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was a boy and, <laughs> and the cameras were big and there'd be five guys in the room, always guys, you know. And, and so it was an impersonal way of working. But then the equipment miniaturized. And now I can film with really, really small equipment and I feel like a backpacker when I'm shooting. So it's every day going out, shooting something just for the fun of it, for no reason, for no film. But it really is like everybody, as I say, it's like running or people do yoga or meditation or or make pasta sauce, whatever it is. It's the same feeling of just having something to get you through the day to, to the excitement of getting through the day. Have you filmed today? Have you been out? And uh, out? I haven't actually filmed it. Oh no, I filmed something today, but mostly I haven't filmed today. I've just been writing today. 
Okay, okay. Well, perhaps after this you can nip out and uh, <laughs> do a quick ten minutes or something. But uh, but I'm fascinated by by the film itself, Mark. I mean, it 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 is it is a, a film which you have chosen um, to be very open, very nakedly emotional. There is a moment in the film that really struck me. There's a when you have your eye surgery and you take off the eye mask, mm-hmm. and you are you're 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 crying. You're you're, you're yeah. in tears, and I was really transfixed by that moment i thought it was a really interesting choice to leave it in and obviously you set up in the film how important and we we know how important cinema is to you and how important being able to see cinema and look at cinema is is to you but can you talk about that and your your emotions at that moment and deciding to to keep that yeah that was i was i was in my bed and i I knew I had to take this eye mask thing off. And so I took my phone, which I was in my hand at the moment, and and I just thought, okay, I'm going to take this eye mask off and film myself. And when I looked around my bedroom, I hadn't even opened the blinds. I looked around the bedroom. I thought, wow, I can see better than I've seen in years. So I think that's why I cried. And then I realized, actually, that was rubbish. I couldn't see better. There was no improvement. And so I started to cry even more because I thought this operation hasn't worked. And it was just me being impatient. It turned out that like five days later, I could see far better. <laughs> but it was, you know, the, the it was the sadness of having my um, eyesight diminished and the hope that it would be improved, etc. That roller coaster that, yeah. that that you go through and something like that, you know. And you know what it means when when eyesight means a lot to you, which it does to me and lots of other people listening to this. Then of course you're going to cry at anything, aren't you? You know, an improvement or a diminution. Yeah. Absolutely. And there, it, it, it's really interesting as well. There, there are numerous points in the documentary where I think you're you're challenging us, the audience, to to look and to look at the you know, at the images you're you're putting up on the screen. And I honestly, I felt, I felt I was transfixed by that moment. But I also felt uncomfortable. I, I it was mm-hmm. it was a very private moment, and I wasn't sure whether I should be looking at it. Is that what you were? What you wanted people to feel? That sort of a confusion almost about whether they should be looking at this? Uh, I didn't, to be honest think about that confusion that you refer to you know I just wanted to be as honest about my own process of the the fear the mountaintop and the valley of tears the the highs and the lows you know and then when you when you edit a film of course when you shoot something you have to be absolutely honest and naked and 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 then when you edit it you make different choices should people see this is this boring is this narcissistic is this uh, uh, you know uh, all sorts of things but at that point i thought no this little moment where i'm crying it's Mm. relevant to the story and so that's why we left that bit in Mm. Well, it made me think of the the title, and I know the title obviously is the book that the, the it's the title that the book shares as well. But the choice of that word is interesting to me. Looking, yeah, and not seeing, not the story of of vision, not the story of seeing. Something is is seeing is something I think we do unconsciously. You can obviously choose to see deeply you know, into something, into into someone's soul, into someone's eyes. But the, the idea of looking. That feels to me like more of a conscious act. Is that why you chose that word in particular? 
It's interesting you, you make the distinction between seeing and looking because not, you know, that's, an, that's a, a distinction in the English language and other mm-hmm. languages do not have that distinction, for example, you yes, know, and there, there's one is, so in, in, in some languages, they are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, I didn't therefore think of the difference. I, I, what I realized is that looking for me felt like a very emotional thing. It felt like good for my mental health. It made me, when I'm sad, I look, when I'm happy, I look, but also um, it made me realize that looking in a way is a superficial thing. It's just, I'm looking at you right now and we've never met, you know, but I'm already, I'm already, you know, thinking things about you. And I love that momentary surface thing. One of my heroes is Virginia Woolf, and she talks brilliantly about looking as a kind of surface activity. And surface is great. And so I wasn't, I'm not afraid of surface at all, because it's a direct encounter. It's a real sense of being alive. Mm. Of course, it's like, it's, it's, Completely and utterly artificial. The, the way we're we're talking now, you're in, yeah. you're in Edinburgh. We're 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 doing this over Zoom. Ordinarily, we'd be in the same room. There'd be eye yeah. contact. There's there's not even yeah. eye contact here, Mark. I mean, I'm looking at yeah. your eyes, yeah. but you're looking presumably at the screen. We're not really, you know. There's the little camera. If I was looking at that, I'd yeah. be moving away from your eyes. It it just feels it feels very very strange. But you know, it, it does it does affect the act of looking. Yeah. Yeah, well, looking is strange, isn't it? You know, because mm. we half see each other and half don't, and mm. we half have a kind of real encounter with somebody else. And then a lot of looking is also filtered through our perceptions and, and our, our, you know, we, we project when we look, there's a sense of stereotyping another human being. Like I'm looking at you (laughs) and you've got a Beatles t-shirt on and a yellow Beatles t-shirt. And I think, Oh, I like the color of that, but why is he wearing a Beatles t-shirt? So I'm already, already projecting onto you stuff, you know, without really knowing you, but that's what we do, you know, and what you want, what we want as human beings is to be warm and kind and not judge people by what we initially see, by mm. their surface. And that's, that's the complexity of looking. Looking is brilliant and dangerous. Looking is really takes us into the world, but also gives us a shallow portrait of the world. Certainly movie drone, both, both your, your stint on movie drone and Alex Cox's stint on movie drone was, was huge, along with things like Empire in, sh- in shaping me as a, as a film fan. Um, and I'm just just want to ask very, very briefly about your experience on Movidrome. And you know, is this something that you look back fondly on? I was amazed that I got to do Movidrome, you know, because I was this working class boy from Belfast. And then I was asked to do that thing. I, I, I had mixed emotions about it because I think I was very nervous and a bit rubbish at actually doing it. And yet the other side of me, I knew so much about cinema and I had a taste in cinema and a quite wild taste in cinema, you know, a discrepant taste in cinema. So it was a combination of somebody who was very bad at the job and maybe quite good at the job at the same time. And and that's what I, 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 I saw none of those, not one of them. I've never seen myself in movie drum, but I know that we, my, my, Myself and my producers, uh, where we were presenting stuff to people 
you know, that wouldn't otherwise perhaps have seen it, a kind of wild genre cinema that they wouldn't otherwise have seen. And this was, of course, in a time when you, when films weren't a click away. Do you feel that that is something that is lacking now? I mean, I remember growing up uh, watching Movie Room on Sunday nights and discovering films I'd never seen before yeah. or even heard of before. And obviously now people... They have a slightly different relationship with cinema and how to find films. We have all these streaming giants, but those streaming giants can be very lacking in terms of their back catalog. You know, you know, you, yeah. you try finding a film that's made pre nineteen ninety on Netflix, and um, it's quite a challenge. Do you feel that we are missing something like Movie Drome on mainstream television to kind of awaken people? Yes, I think that in the UK in particular, the um, TV programs about cinema are not very, there, there aren't enough of them. They're not wide enough. They're not daring enough. Uh, it, it comes to a bigger question that, of course, back then we were all hungry for cinema. There wasn't enough food in the table. And now the opposite is the problem. There's too much food on the table. We Everything is a click away. If you, No matter what you want to see, the chances are that it's there. And the paradox is that therefore the role of the curator or the pointer in the direction, the person who tells you, try this, this is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the paradox is that their role is just as important in a hungry time and a time of plenitude. Yeah. So now that, now that uh, so much is available, there's still room for people saying, have you tried this? You know, and I think you're right about uh, Netflix. They're not good at film history. Amazon Prime is much better, I have to say, at film history and be a BFI player and, and movie, movie and lots of things. But still, yeah. we need people like you and me to say, try this. You know, it's like a, so we're drug dealers in a way. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best metaphor when you're talking about children, obviously, but you know what I mean? You know, that sense of, particularly when people have seen roughly, when people have seen the Scorsese films and when people have seen Jane Campion, and when people have seen Ingmar Bergman, what next? And the what next question is where somebody, you know, what I maybe step into into the, the, the light and say, well, have you tried this film? Filmmaker called Yusuf Shaheen from Egypt, for example. So you would be the algorithm rather than the the Netflix algorithm. I would love <laughs> to see the Mark Cousins algorithm because <laughs> I suspect, along with the likes of of Scorsese and uh, our own Kim Newman, I suspect you see you've seen pretty much every film ever yeah, made yeah, or close Kim, to it. And Kim was an influence on me. You know, I think as human beings, we want to know what we don't know. The the thing is that the algorithm, the algorithm sort of, you know, licks your face and tells you what you already know. But of course, we want to be expanded. We want to. I want to go to bed tonight, having seen something that transformed me that I would never find in conventional ways, and that's why um, other voices and that's why, you know, David Bowie mattered. That's why. Federico Fellini matters, people who come from other worlds, other planets and come into ours and expand our our horizons. So we always need that. Uh, What was it like for you growing up in in Northern Ireland in terms of discovering cinema, Uh, you know, especially at a time when it it wasn't easy to do so? Yeah, this was the, um, the, the... early 80s, etc. There were some films on in the cinemas, but mostly not. So I did rely on TV. 
and there there would be a whole season of Orson Welles films or Alfred Hitchcock films and I still have my notebooks I was a nerdy kid who was scribbling what I thought of all these films and that the, the feeling of being introduced to like RKO films or to understand the difference between what MGM style was, the Paramount style was, or the Warner Brothers style was. So exciting. I had no boundaries. I had no artistic education. I came from a working class background and yet, and yet it was all joyous. I was so hungry back to this idea of appetite and desire for cinema. It was overwhelming. I thought more, more, more. Give me Betty Davis. Give me, you know, Abraham Polonsky. Give me uh, Billy Wilder. Whatever you can throw at me, I will take. So, So in an ideal world today, would you see a film, would you set out to see a film, at least one film a week that you haven't seen? Is that what you would say? Oh, uh, one film a day, if possible. One film a day, okay. Yeah, if possible, you know, because I, I, I work from really early in the morning, 6.30, and then by 12 o'clock, uh, like yesterday, I went to see Malignant, for example. <laughs> and and every, oh, if possible, I'll go to the cinema every day. Not so much, I won't see many films in my own home on TV, but I will go out to the pictures every day, if possible. I have to ask you what you thought of Malignant. Uh, well, I don't want to do any spoilers, no but, spoilers I, but I I nearly walked, in the first hour, but I'm glad I stayed because the last 30 minutes, <laughs> last 30 minutes, I thought, oh, God, I'm kind of in some kind of weird heaven here, a sort of horrible, you know, uh, Cronenbergian heaven yeah. and, and, and Jallo heaven. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really glad I stayed. And I, I'm always very interested in the mainstream because the mainstream is often where the most perverse or surreal activity happens. You have the storms of Jeremy Thomas yeah. uh, coming up soon as well. Yeah. Uh, one of your three films this year, one of the, I think it was 27 films you're working on at the moment. <laughs> uh, why Jeremy Thomas in particular? But Jeremy Thomas, when I was growing up, I noticed this name. There'd be it would a, fil- a film would start and it would say Jeremy Thomas presents, and then what would the film be? It would be a wild film about sexuality or desire. It would be bad timing by Nicholas Rogue. It would be Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. It would be all these wild films, Eureka, etc. And I thought, wow. Whatever this man is, whoever this man is, he has an uncensored imagination. Mm-hmm. He's going for the dark stuff, the daring stuff, the wild stuff, the troubling things, you know. And so um, only, re- only in a la- couple of years ago, uh, some producers came to me and said, will you make a film about Jeremy Thomas? And I thought, yeah, of course, because I want to get to know who that man is and why he has been so... Um, on bourgeois. He's never been careful. He's never been discreet or delicate. Mm. He's gone for the wild imagination. And because I love that, I thought I'd love to make a film about him. When that film comes out, perhaps you, you'll you come back on and we'll have a, a yep. good old natter about Jeremy yeah, Thomas uh, as well. I'd love but that. on that note, a great note on which to end. Mark Cousins, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Pleasure talking to you, Chris. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Steve. Take care. Okay, so that was Mark Cousins. The story of looking, I'm the only one in the grey box of depression who has seen it. I thought it was terrific. Uh, go and check it out. Let's talk about movies that are out this week on your multiplex or on your sofaplex. And let's talk about a film that is going to be out in cinemas, but also on Sky Cinema. 
It is a Sky Original. Those are perhaps the two most fear-inducing, dread-inducing words in the English language. They have upped their game of late, maybe because they've been in the acquisitions business rather than the making the terrible movies business. Yeah, Jimbo. Let's start with you. Yes, this Sky Original, which debuted on Netflix earlier this year in America, uh, is uh, it did it? It did, it did, didn't it? What did? Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on Netflix in America, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, but it was it was meant for a theatrical release, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and okay. then it was Just acquired. Uh, this one stars Karen Gillan as Assassin Sam, who finds herself in a rather unfortunate uh, predicament when she crosses the crime consortium that she works for by killing the wrong person, saving the wrong person, and then ends up on the run with the daughter of someone she's killed. And if this sounds like a very familiar setup to another film we were talking about that w- this week, that's because it is. But this is the first time we're going to review this one before the second time that we review the same thing, essentially. Anyway, anyway, this... The story of looking, I don't remember. The story of looking, yeah, in fact. You do not get to see Mark Cousins' penis at any point during Gunpowder Milkshake unless you freeze frame at a very precise moment. I won't tell you exactly where. Please don't. But, uh... Uh, other than Mark Cousins' penis, there oh, is there are other things in this film, including a lot of violence. Uh, Karen Gillan killing a lot of people. Chloe Coleman, for tis she who plays uh, the daughter of one of Gillan's victims, is kind of like a sidekick buddy thing to be rescued type person. That's the official synopsis. Mm. Uh, I'm just blathering incoherently at this point. And the reason for that is that this film made me, I think, hemorrhage somewhere internally uh, in my brain. Um, (laughs) It is very much my kind of film. I was very much geared to like this. A lot of people have called it Jane Wick, which is very first base and reductive. However... That's what they call Atomic Blonde. Yeah, I know. I mean, Atomic Blonde is, you know, good. The fundamental problem you have here is you have a, a similar to John Wick setup. You have a, you know, hardcore assassin on the rampage. You have have a kind of a, an alternate secret society, like a subculture where assassination has certain rules. There's a diner here where everyone gives up their guns and assassins meet. So it has a lot of John Wick's <laughs> DNA in there. What it doesn't have is Chad Stahelski's team's extraordinary aptitude for choreographed mayhem. So my issues with this are many, but my biggest issue with this is the action just is quite flat. The choreography isn't very well done. And all the way through it, I was sort of waiting for it to kick in. There are a lot of big sort of sequences. There's a huge sort of crazy 88 style, loads of gangsters come in and all get killed one by one. But it's very, very rudimentary. And I just didn't, there was nothing that made me go, wow. There's a slow motion gunfight, which I think is pretty well done. I just found it A slow motion gunfight, you say? Yes. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Well, it's a a gunfight, but it was a lot slower than you would otherwise see. Has this ever been done before? Never, never. It's it's entirely unique. Um, Sounds good. It's not the only thing they've taken from John Woo. Indeed, yeah. It's just, and it really bugged me because it goes for this slightly odd tone where it's not quite serious violence but not quite comedy. It goes for this sort of quirky, dark humour. But it isn't funny and the action isn't very good. And Karen Gillan plays the character in a very specific way. It's It's not a bad performance. It's a very specific performance where she's deliberately awkward and a little bit sort of out of sync with everything. And I didn't really latch onto that either. And all the way through this, I was waiting for this film to kick in and then at some point it finished. I was very much on board with this based on the trailer and based on what I saw of it. I think, you know, in terms of design and style and colour, it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And, I mean, we haven't even really mentioned, there's Lena Headey, there's Carla Gugino, there's Angela yes. Bassett, there's Carla Michelle Gugino, Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh and Angela Bassett as a trio of ornery librarians. And that in itself should make this a film it worth watching. Immediately, yeah, but they're not sort and of... Yet. 
And yet it doesn't quite hang together with the other bits. And there's all these kind of elements that don't really seem to gel together in Mm. the way that you want them to. And if you're going to have those women in particular in your movie, then, you know, they do try and give them all a little bit of an action moment and an action scene, but it doesn't it doesn't fit with what's gone before. There are so many bits that don't seem to fit with each other. There's no flow to it. Like there's a moment when, you know, a, a very valuable item is like phys- physically valuable item is at stake. And you're like, well, this is going to be fine because it's going to be a fake out and that that will be okay. And then it isn't a fake out. And you're just like, that just seems super duper stupid. Mm. Uh, so there's all these kind of really stupid decisions which kind of undermine the cool stuff and undermine the stylish stuff. I didn't hate the fights that much. They didn't blow my mind, but I didn't hate them. I just, nothing seemed to flow and therefore everything seemed to sag and in a way that it shouldn't have done, given the talent involved, given that I liked the way it looked, given that, you know, I, I kind of wanted it to be great. I, I just think maybe it didn't hang together. I wanted it to be great so much. I was really, really looking forward to this because it, mm. it's 100% on paper is absolutely my nailed on type of film. Yeah. But it just, no, there's a, there's a scene in, in a bowling alley very early on in the film where Karen Gillan takes on a trio of thugs fighting them using only a panda suitcase. And there are some interesting beats in the way they've decided to sort of like structure the fight. But there's no dynamism to it. It just It's not impressive. It's like you look at like Keanu Reeves going into the, the club in the first yeah. John Wick. And I, look, I get Keanu Reeves is a very accomplished martial artist. But as we're about but to discuss so in the Karen next Gillen. film, you know, you don't need to be mm. like a black belt in 18 different martial arts to actually make this stuff work on screen. I just feel that the choreography or suddenly maybe it was more the way it was cut together as mm. well. It just felt low energy. And I think a film like this needs to be your high energy. Yeah. Needs to, it needs to excite you. It needs to buoy you along with all of this action. The pace just wasn't quite there. And the pace wasn't there. And it just felt quite leaden. And I was quite bored. And it's telling, like during the big action set piece towards the end, my kind of attention was wandering. I was kind of looking at my watch. And, you know, that's not ideal. Yeah. Especially when you're watching it at home. I Indeed. Guess. Yes. Um, okay, that's in, that's interesting. So it's uh, co-written and directed by Navit Papashado. Mm. You know, and he's clearly going for a, a tone. Yeah, he got a film by credit for goodness sake. You mm. know. Mm. Yeah. I d- look, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I just, I, I just felt it could have been so much more. I think that was what was frustrating to me. Okay. And especially with a cast this strong. I, I, I liked, I liked a lot of the sequences. I thought, you know, that's it's got the um that that sequence where she's she's been given a sedative and her hands aren't working properly. Oh, I hated that. I hated that so much. Because again, that for me exemplified exactly what's wrong with this, that it's going for comedy as well, but is so painfully unfunny. Like, yeah, she's flopping her kind of paralyzed arms around uh, when she's, when she's, but it's just like, this, this doesn't work on a kind of slapstick comedy level and it's not particularly compelling action either. And it's just, you've just got a sequence with an interesting idea that felt a little bit sort of flaccidly executed. Mm. I'm more up in it than than James and Helen are. There uh, was no gunpowder in my milkshake. <laughs> See, that would taste I terrible. I will not drink your milkshake. It would taste terrible. Mm. No, I drink it up. I drink up your gunpowder milkshake. Uh, we gave this one two stars. I, I had a good time with it. I thought, you know, I thought it was perfectly fine. And then I saw Kate. And yeah. in in contrast to Kate, a gunpowder milkshake does pale. Well, this is it, isn't it? It's like yeah. this is this is kind of a very very similar idea, but just done a lot better. Yeah, this is this is kind of crank. Yeah, uh, version. So basically, yeah. Kate has been poisoned after a job goes wrong because she's an assassin and uh, has sort of twenty four hours to find out who done it and uh, get her revenge. Revenge. And yeah, and and 
hooks up with not not in that way, sure. but uh, sort of joins forces with the daughter of one of the people that she has killed. Yes, in Annie, of... played by Miku Patricia Martineau. Yeah, um, who's really charming and funny. She um, is. You know, and she just has to go through like just legions of bad guys, including Michael Husman, always fun. Um, <laughs> Ted Nobu Asano, who I haven't seen enough since Thor. Uh, well, since they killed him off in Ragnarok, specifically. <laughs> yeah. And Woody Harrelson as her mentor. So, you know, mm-hmm. really, really good people in it. Um, all very stylish again, but the style felt more wedded maybe to the substance yeah. here. And, um, mm-hmm. and her, you know, improvised weapons felt a little bit more assassiny, mm. frankly. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So Kate in this is played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And the film is directed by Cedric Nicolas Troyan. Yeah, who did the Huntsman Winter's War after kind of coming up through the visual effects world. Yes. Mm. So, And you can see that mm. in the film's palette. This uh, this looks spectacular. And this is one of those movies, uh, James, you were talking about the fact that maybe Jazz Stahelski and his team and David Leach and his team uh, at 87 North might have been brought to bear on Gunpowder Milkshake and they were very much brought to bear on the action sequences here because it is an 87 North and it's telling movie it's yeah. very very telling the action sequences are great the uh, the movie looks wonderful as well it is set in Tokyo and it, it makes Tokyo the colours of Tokyo the, the neon purples and the yellows and the greens and the reds just really really pop and Mary Elizabeth Winstead is fantastic mm. in this she really is fantastic in this um, she's she's jaded but also has a little bit of humanity left in her to allow Kate to to grow throughout the course of the movie. Uh, it's not Crank Three, so don't expect it to be as ludicrous as Crank <laughs> no, Three. No, it shares no. certain DNA with Crank, obviously, but uh, it is a little bit more reflective. It's not as frenetically paced as any, either of the Crank movies. She's not Chev Chelios the the second. Uh, she's a slightly different, more. I, I, I she reminded me a lot of Sigourney Weaver actually um, watching mm. this movie, and uh, she was so good. I think in Birds of Prey playing a fairly similar character, fairly similar similar taciturn uh, assassin, but uh, so, but she can handle the fight stuff. Yeah. She's very, very good at the uh, at the same words stuff as well. Um, <laughs> and I really, really liked it, guys. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, and it, it 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 annoyed me because it was one. It's one of the movies, like the seemingly end the stream of movies that you know. And I've said this before that you know, Netflix basically just bring a movie. They'll put it on your doorstep, ring the doorbell, and then run away. And you know, and I don't think that it's getting a lot of love that they leave it up to the algorithm to throw something up. Yeah. On the on the homepage on Netflix, you know, it deserves to have a wider audience. It deserves to have more publicity behind it. No, I agree with you completely. I watched these pretty much back to back. I watched Gunpowder Milkshake, was mortally disappointed by the end of it, and then went straight to this and was like, "Yes, this is how you do it." And I just think the Eight Seven North guys are so on top of their game that the action in this is spectacular. She takes out a guy with a pair of champagne flutes. There's a part when someone's grabbing her from behind. She cuts off her own sort of hair to get out of him and then has a shorter haircut for the rest of the film. thought that was a lovely note. There are all these sort of like ingenious moments that you feel like having Karen Gillan who can't use her arms and then not making a very good job of it just doesn't land. And then this, every single action sequence feels distinct. It has personality. You feel that the action sequences, you know, bring out the characters as well. There's a lot of characterization in the violence. Mm. Um, and, you know, yes, it's it's it takes a sort of more tried and tested tone. It's serious. It's a kind of, it's a slightly sort of, uh, you know, it's like got a sorrowful tone for it. Like literally she's on borrowed time all through yeah. this film. But you're, you're on board with her. You want to see where it goes in a way that you, I think, don't through Milkshake. So if you have seen it pop up on your Netflix home screen, then, you know, then press, go for it. press yeah. that. I think we're all in the four-star camp in this one. 
Yeah, I could yeah. I could go I'd to say four. four? It's somewhere between three, a three anyway. and yeah, yeah, somewhere between a three and a four, but certainly leagues ahead of, of Gunpowder Milkshake. All right, okay. And then uh, last but not least this week is James Wan's Malignant, <laughs> which we reviewed on the live films. show. <laughs> not last least week. or least. We don't know. This honestly, <laughs> this film I'm still thinking about it almost a week on uh, from seeing it and uh, mostly for good reasons. But it's it's such a strange film. We talk in the in the podcast all the time about a film being a, you know, is it a is it a is it a four star three star film or is it a it, maybe it's a four star two star film? But this is at times a one star five star film and at times a five star one star film. So you put those together, you get three stars, which is what we gave it, um, which is the most middle of the road rating possible for a film that is anything but middle of the road. Um, uh, Jimbo, I wouldn't let you lead on this last week because I know you hate this film with a passion. I really uh, do. I'm still not going to let you lead on it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's, 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 let's talk about Malignant without repeating what we said in the podcast, which was oh, helpful helpful for me because I didn't actually really get to speak about it last week in the podcast because I had to go off um, and try and find Chase and Isaac's keys <laughs> because he left them behind. <laughs> and so if anyone watched the live show and thought I was disappearing halfway through the show, to go for a piss uh, I wasn't I was trying to find Jason Isaac's key sure sure that's yes. what we call it yeah. yes so, Jason Isaac's <laughs> keys to find in heavy quotes Jason Isaac's keys yeah yeah. so Hell's Bells yes. Malignant Malignant um, no spoilers please uh, no spoilers uh, after a little prelude set in a hospital in the 90s which involves a mysterious figure called Gabriel who they seem to be having trouble controlling. Uh, we cut to the present day and Annabelle Wallace's Madison, um, who is uh, <laughs> pregnant and uh, living at home with her uh, schmucky husband. Bad things start happening. And worse than that, Madison herself starts having visions of things that are happening, not just to her, but like elsewhere around the place. Bad things are happening. She's seeing it. What does this mean? What could it be? Could it be that the mysterious Gabriel has somehow survived and is wreaking revenge on mm -hmm. I don't know, everybody? Yes. I'm sorry, James, you yes, sighed. Yes, that's exactly what happens. I mean, all of these things could be true, but who cares? Because it's just so terrible. <laughs> but funny terrible. No, maybe. it's not. It's hateful terrible. It's awful terrible. It's a one-star, one-star film, and it offended <laughs> me with its existence. And, and Were you it, not turned around by the audacity of the third act and no, the audacity because, of a twist we can't talk about Because here? we can't talk about it. But to me, it was, shall we say, entirely ripped off a film from a completely different genre and just let's just leave it there and talk about it another time when we're allowed to speak about it. But I just know, I mean, it was batshit, but also the ending, the twist I saw coming so far in I advance. I did too. And this, I'm like, I was saying, I, I don't ever see the twist no. coming. Like, I I don't know who done it in an Agatha Christie. But, but and yet. It's so abundantly clear from using your eyes and looking at the film. I don't understand how it's even a twist because it's just an obvious thing that's happening. It's just so but fucking stupid. Your brain doesn't want to believe it. It's not just that it's a twist. That you can, it's how the twist is revealed. <laughs> and, I, I, and, it's, it's, and then what happens to the movie when that twist is revealed and the fact that the movie, which I have, I'm having such a struggle with this because James Wan is a fantastic filmmaker. He is. And he is. Uh, he is He's a very very funny guy as well. Very funny guy and he's very aware. I think this uh, this film is very, very self-aware and he is a guy who has shown, you know, the Conjuring films are films that are designed to scare you shitless. And insidious films are films that are, that are designed to scare you shitless but also just have fun with it and have fun with the 
the the surrealness of everything that's happening and they're you know they're very funny at times as well like they're they, they are the quote unquote cliche roller coaster ride and this felt more like the insidious movies to me than it did the conjuring films it feels like a filmmaker who's in on the joke and i hope he's in the joke because the first hour of this movie <laughs> flirts with being terrible and i can't figure out whether it is deliberately terrible or accidentally mm, terrible. I, I think this. it's deliberately terrible because he knows he has... And again, the reveal, we could talk about the reveal. We can't. But we, you know, <laughs> we could talk about the reveal all day. But for me, it's what happens to the film. The film goes up 10 notches when the reveal comes and it becomes a completely <laughs> different film. And we, Helen, you and I watched it together. We and did. it was one of those... You know, I wish there had been more people in the screening because it was like a early Friday afternoon. We went to see it ahead of the live show uh, at the Every Man Just Around the Corner from the King's Place. And it was it was like six people, six, six people. Six people. Yeah. And, you know, you could you could feel everyone being tense because they're expecting a scary James Wan film mm-hmm. with all the jump scares. Mm-hmm. And you get that for a while, but there's something a little off about it. It feels a little bit seen, been there, done that you know, this feels a bit rote. We've seen these scares before. We've felt these beats before. We've experienced this before. There's nothing new here. And then literally 45 minutes from the end, I've never been there and I've never done that. And it's just batshit insane. And from that moment on, it felt like he gave us permission to interact with the movie. And he gave us permission to laugh with the film, laugh with the film, not at the film, which is what I've been doing in the first hour. (laughs) And suddenly it just becomes this, absolutely nonsensical over the top wildly ambitious thrill ride and is very very funny and is it that? it is it See, genuinely to me, is you, this you, you tell feels me. like it feels like an early 90s straight to video film 100% through deliberately so yeah, well, this was the thing so when especially in the prologue I thought is this genuinely what he's going for he's going for straight to video early 90s schlock horror nonsense and and all the way through, I'm like, and it's again, I I went backwards and forwards, and it's like, is he in on the joke? Is he not in on the joke? And I'm still not, I'm not sure. I can't tell. <laughs> I, I can't tell be. if he's in you on the joke. You can't have that ending. You can't have that twist. You can't have that big reveal without him being in on the but joke. But you say he that, knows but no joke. one in the '90s was in on the joke. These were just bad films. Yeah, but so, James Wan is in on the joke. But you, but you, you say that, but like, and like and Annabelle Wallace is great. She's fantastic in Peaky Blinders. I think she's a great actor. But the performance here is shall we say, patchy. And I just, at no point did I laugh with this film. I laughed at it. And I will say, I saw this same as you. It went to cinema on that Friday before the live show. Four went in to that screening. (laughs) Two came out. (laughs) (laughs) Two were left when the film finished because two of them literally independently walked out during the film and just left. At which point? At which point? Uh, I would say one of them left left before reveal. One of them left shortly after the reveal. And me and one other viewer were left to the bitter end. See, that surprises me. Because the reveal alone says that this is... Yes, everything you thought was... (laughs) Everything you thought was accidentally shit previously. No, it's deliberately shit. I mean, yeah, yeah, but, means, but, yeah. yeah, from the parking alone, you should have yes. known it was but deliberate. But here's, a, here's yeah, the thing. We, if a film is knowingly shit, it's still shit. It's just being knowing does not make it any less shit. It's just shit wow. with awareness. Like, that doesn't make it a good film. Honestly, I don't know that I would describe this as good, but I was massively entertained. I was not entertained. No. Okay. I think we can say this as as Helen has said there is a moment in this movie where a character drives up to a spooky building and sees (laughs) the spooky building and goes oh no that's a spooky building and then the very next shot is her parking (laughs) driving her car up to the edge of a cliff (laughs) 
and everybody in the every it was it was almost that moment where everybody went. No, it, come on. It literally looked like we she was talking about back to, to the screen. It literally looked like she was about to drive off the cliff, Thelma. I Louise know style. how she felt. <laughs> and it was just it was just the weird it's basically no one in this film acts like a human being. Nobody at any point acts yeah. like a human being. Handsome cop played by George Young, he had another character named Kakoa. No, I think it was Hot Cop. Hot Cop. Hot okay. Cop. Yes. So Hot Cop at one point is chasing Baddie scariness. Sc- scary baddie. Scary baddie. And 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 goes through after scary baddie through a tiny basement window into a scary dark <laughs> underground place. With dry ice with all dry over the floor for, for no reason. reason. <laughs> no reason. He's in the joke. And I'm like, do not do that, hot cop. Go and get back up. There are other hot cops or less hot cops. I don't know, but there are cops no, around. He was the hottest cop. I mean, he, he was the hottest cop. That's yeah. true. But like, there, there were. Would you go in through no, the basement window I would into my the dry at all ice? Costs. Hot cop you know, must be protected at all costs. He really should be. And 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 I just, I was like, no, no human being, no matter how heroic, does that. That yes. is not acceptable to me. No, absolutely hard pass. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So uh, I'm saying that there is a joke. And James Wan was in on it. Is I'm, saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, this is a terrible movie. The only thing that is up for grabs is whether or not the filmmakers deliberately made it terrible or accidentally made it terrible. At which point, I would say that's basically academic because you are still forced to watch a terrible movie. Did you not have a good time with the the, the scene? You know, the scene. That one scene. I did not have a good time with that one scene. And then the shall we say they say that where where evil baddie villain person in a place. And that's the scene I'm talking about. Oh, this, this, no, I did not have because I was like, this is just nonsense. This is just, this is, this is so bad. Like, it's just so bad that it's like, it's giggle. I'm giggling at this, but not in uh-huh. a, this is funny. Like He's got you. And I'm not giggling at, I'm just giggling at this thinking, I can't believe that I am actively getting older while watching this <laughs> film. And this is my life ebbing away as I experience this. And I can't undo that. Okay. Three stars then for Malignant. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't seen a film go from one to five, back to one, back to five, <laughs> whilst watching it, like like Malignant. Um, but three stars in for Malignant. And on that note, that is it <laughs> for our first podcast back in the studio, folks. We managed oh to do it. Lunch awaits. Should we go Taco Bell? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not start that again. Good Lord. I will say, uh, keep them peeled. Supporter specials come your way if you are a supporter special subscriber. And if you're not, then you should absolutely consider subscribing our Candyman supporter special with Nia DaCosta win up this week. Our Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings with director Destin Daniel Cretton and writer Dave Callahan will be up very, very soon. Hopefully, well, maybe not today as you listen to this, but hopefully Monday. We also have a Nobody spoiler special with director Ilya Neismuller and the writer Derek Kolstad coming your way next week as well. Uh, and if you like regular podcast specials, we've got a belter for you in the shape of a one-hour sit-down I had with Quentin Tarantino talking about his book, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That'll be coming your way very, very soon. Maybe even by the time you're listening to this, who the fuck knows? And don't forget to join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by... Alessandro Nefola, star of the Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark, and possibly as well, Sofia Di Martino. Oh yes, old Sylvie herself. Well, not old, but, you know, young, young Sylvie, Sylvie. Young Sylvie herself. Well, although she's thousands of years she's, old she, in she canon, is technically so old. technically old Sylvie. Mm. Mm. 
Maybe I'll ask her. Hopefully Sophia Martino on that one as well. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Oh God, we don't have Squawkast names. <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm just James. Just James Dyer. Yeah, that's right. Bye. Bye. It's goodbye from Squawkast name, Helen O'Hara. I mean, yes, I really pushed the boat out with that name. <laughs> wow. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye to from lunch. me. To the lunch. To oh, the lunch. Oh, my God. What do, you, what do you fancy? Just not Nando's. I mean, what, what do we even do with that, Chris? I don't even know. I'll see. It's like she doesn't Perry even know bad. at all. Perry bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, orange chicken? Honestly, better than Nando's. It's, nothing is better than Nando's, Helen. Don't this is outrage and sacrilege. Uh, anyway, it is goodbye from me. Squadcast name, Chris Hewitt. Thank you so much <laughs> for listening. Uh, I am off to accuse some damn fool of getting the line from Predator. Ronan. <laughs> yeah, probably me, in fact. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.